1: Daddy long that shout out to real life
3: go hey you're one of 12 listeners of the real life podcast yeah you know what the, to define that uh, uh, better
1: um, I think the key there is uh,
4: I just lost my train of thought
0: episode 134 nation real life and there's one extra seat at the table this week Wanye. Jay Chalmers, Bag Milk, I'm Tyler Uremchuk, and the legend, that is Kelly Buckberger, joining us at the Little Brick Cafe. Kelly, how's it going, man? It's going great, and happy to be here with you boys. Fantastic. When we put this out on social media, we got a ton of people submitting stuff saying that they've named their dogs after you, people, a bunch of weird stories that maybe we won't get to. Some very strange ones we can't share. Oilers fans still love you, and how about this? This weekend, two days ago, my sister married a guy who is named after you. His name is Kelly Chapman. Um, the city of Edmonton still loves you.
2: <laughs> well, I know his dad, so um, and we, I, I paid him to say that, but uh, <laughs> it's nice to see. You. I love the city.
4: This is some legendary shit, your M track.
2: Absolutely. Like
4: I know you're hosting shows at TSN 1260. <laughs> you're like, whatever. I'm on the radio by myself. I'm 20 years old. Everything is easy. Talking to Kelly Buckberg is some shit. We're on like beer three, some of us here, because this is some exciting times.
0: You absolutely need to be, because you've been nervous all day, all but this day is going to be exciting. This is a
4: Monday off vacation. This is like going right into the finals.
0: All right, Wanya, let's get get going.
4: Let's get it started, Mr. Buck. Thank you for coming down, first of all. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, The fact that Chalmers had to book you is shady. Yeah, that's one
5: thing you forgot about the intro.
4: Yeah, like we're trying to run a professional organization here, and (laughs) we had to send Chalmers to book you because you guys know each other
5: golfing. Well, we're basically been best friends since 96, I think. Yeah, his
2: uh, sister (laughs) actually babysitted our kids uh, when we were younger, and then uh, his mom being in in, the country club for so many years, and knowing him and uh, Chalmers himself... uh, obviously see him around every day shout out to Shirley Chalmers
4: yeah it's fine yeah she's the key she's my she's yeah
2: she's my
6: other mother in my life hello mama
5: (laughs) and they listen Oh, totally yeah. Awesome. My mom was actually texting me about five minutes before this, asking me where she could listen to it live. live. She's, I think, more excited than you are.
2: <laughs> well, she's party. probably on her third glass of wine right now. She by probably mouth. is.
5: <laughs> well, hey, retired, retired life is treating her well. Hey? That's
6: kind of funny because didn't you think a podcast could be live too early? Is the apple not didn't. fall too
4: far from the tree? Is that
5: Whatever. Listen to two All episodes right. ago and you'll get that joke, eh? Yeah? You know, yeah. get inside. Anyways, Luckily, no
4: one's listening to any of this, and that's okay. So don't right. worry about it. It'll be yeah, all right. no, no,
5: no. So Mama Chalmers is jacked. We're all happy to have you here. And so what, I said yes.
4: Yeah, and people people come on real life. Generally, what we want to try and talk about is like their entire life, like their career, not just like the current news of the day. But a lot of times, you don't get to talk maybe about like minor hockey and the come up playing in junior. You're a Moose Jaw Warrior. Oh. You can see with the Smitty jersey on the wall. You're a warrior country. I Warriors just seen country. that. Yep. This sign here we stole off the crush can before it got knocked down. So nice. That's the actual contents left at owner's risk from the stands. We have a no smoking one somewhere too, which is classic. And we have the yeah. GM
6: parking sign.
4: Oh yeah, I stole the GM parking sign
1: off.
2: From- <laughs> they were going to knock it down, Mister yeah. Get it. We take whatever it down, you re- can. Yeah, yeah. someone's going to
4: yeah. steal that. So, so you know, we want to talk about that going through the Warriors. Then, obviously, your time with the the Oilers system and, and being captain of the Edmonton Oilers. So this is exciting. So when when you started out, you're, you're a Saskatchewan guy. You're born in sorry Langenberg. Langenberg. Langenberg.
2: Langenberg. How do you say it? Langenberg.
5: Langenberg. Langenberg. How many people
4: live in there?
2: When we were raised there, uh, Carlo and I—I I think there was uh, 900 people. Now there's about a thousand, I think. It's growing like a bad. Yeah, eight. it's really good. So cool. you say,
6: Carlo and I, your you mean wife. your wife?
2: Yeah, she's from there as well. Yeah, we grew up together. Pretty oh. much went to kindergarten together. No wow. kidding. Yeah, you're a gentleman, sir.
4: Wow, that's amazing. Oh, what a amazing. beautiful story.
2: I wouldn't say that again.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so playing minor hockey out there, and, uh, like when you first got started, were you playing? You're playing in minor hockey in there in.
2: Yeah, I I started there. Actually, we lived uh, a block away from the rink, and uh, so the rink was always open, so it got as much ice time as I wanted, and uh, like you live in a small town, and you only have one team per age group, and uh, I think we had eight players growing up that played consistently throughout everything, and uh, you know what, the ice time was always there, so we were always on our skates. 24 seven, pretty much.
4: Did any of those guys play, go on to play anywhere of note? Some guys
2: went to college after that, but, or played tier two, but, uh, no one, uh, well, we had one guy that was drafted by Vancouver, uh, Troy Neumeyer that, uh, uh, ended up, uh, being in the farm system for a bit. And I, I don't know if he played it for a game in Vancouver or not, but, uh, he had a good career, and uh, now he's got, he's got a successful career in PA.
5: Were they all tough guys coming from rural Saskatchewan like yourself?
2: He was a defenseman, a more uh stay-home uh, defender, and uh, he battled hard. He played hard. But uh, in our area, it's a tough area. There's no question. You got, uh, you got riggers, and you got uh, people that work in the mine, farmers. So there's a lot of uh, strong-willed people there.
1: Nice.
4: When you were playing those games, a lot of times playing on the road, I assume, you are driving all over Hell's Half Acre to play those games growing up?
2: Yeah, we were. You know what? Uh, with that team, there was probably four towns in the surrounding area that we'd play consistently all the time throughout the season. And and then we'd um, join up with a – we'd make an all-star team and go to tournaments into Regina or Winnipeg, Saskatoon. And uh, we usually just traveled with ten players all the time because they would grab, like, one or two players from each town and we'd go to, like, let's just say Saskatoon or Estevan and play. And we always had success because, you know, we – We played hard.
5: The commitment from families that live outside of big cities is for minor hockey is just unbelievable. Like my brother lives in a small town and, you know, where in the city you can just go to a, you know, you just go to an arena in this north end. It might be 25 minutes away. Sometimes these guys are driving like three and a half hours to get to a, to get to a game on a, you know, Saturday or Sunday
2: not so much when i was growing up oh, uh, we, like we we stayed in our area but oh, okay. uh, now if the kids want to make it they got to move on and and that's what happened with me uh when i was 14 i moved to mooshaw to play uh it was there was no triple a back then it was double a midget and that's where it all started so
4: you played midget in the job before getting drafted by the warriors
2: yes i did i actually went there and played uh for the playmores and uh it was the first year for them and uh you know what? Uh, I still actually keep in contact with a lot of the players that played back then, and I think that was in 82 or something like that in, in Midget. And uh, uh it was a strong bond, and then that team kept going, and now it's the Musha Warrior AAA team. So. Yeah.
4: How was life in the jaw in those days?
2: We, well, I didn't know anything different. I thought it was a huge city coming from Langevin, <laughs> So You know, they they have uh four stoplights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So, yeah, and a lot of crosswalks downtown. but. Oh, yeah. uh it, it was great. You know, we lived with uh, some great people. Um, Where'd you go to school when you were there? We went to a Peacock. Okay. Uh, yeah, not so hard. Peacock. Not so hard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so did you, live, did you live with Billets at yeah, 14? Yeah, we did, yeah.
5: So did yeah. you live with the same ones through your whole WHL career there?
2: No, no. Uh, unfortunately, I got kicked out a couple of them. So. No way. <laughs> did oh, you? Oh, For doing what? I have no idea. You don't it's remember? all political. <laughs> <of> that <and laughs> stage, right?
4: Moose yeah. job uh, politics Chalmers is too for chicken. quagmire. For, for work working out, too the hard and being too the, good of a leader. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the curfew, curfew too was hard.
2: too early. The
6: curfew yeah. was way too early. Yeah. Oh, we're on <laughs> Mountain
4: Standard time here? I had no idea. We
6: we had a buddy who played for the Warriors, and we used to come down and corrupt their their curfew as much as possible when we were down. Who was that? Uh, Brian Sotheby. Oh, yeah, I know Brian. Yeah yeah, 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 So, he's a
4: Warrior alum, just like yourself. He just made the wall this offseason. He did just yeah. make the wall. Yeah. yeah. He'd be staring down at Moose Jaw
2: Warriors for eternity. That's awesome. Good for him.
4: So, it kind of walk us, because, like, I,
6: I, I, I can talk about Moose Jaw for hours, but walk us through, like, just the WHL experience for yourself, because the WHL, especially, like, then, was, like, the wild, wild west.
2: Well, you know what? We... We, it was tough, and, and we were an expansion team. We came out of Winnipeg, and uh, I think we only kept one player from Winnipeg's team when we went into Moose Jaw, and it was tough. Like, But, but we had some great assets. We had Theron Fleury, Mike Keane. Uh, who else made it from there? Uh, Lyle Line, Jim McKenzie, and I, I, I'm probably forgetting some guys, but we had unreal group of guys. We were young and uh, inexperienced throughout the league. But we found a way to battle, and, and if you look at the development that the Moose Warriors did in those years and to produce NHL hockey players is unreal. If you go through all the players, and you go through the alumni that played in the NHL, which you mentioned, your, your friend, he came uh, probably 10, 15 years later. But I think that you're talking to a, a great organization that developed a lot of great players.
4: It's interesting when a WHL team gets a Kelly Buckberg, gets a Mike Keene, they're... Repping you as like the prototypical warrior for the next generation. Like I know when Suds was going through the program, they're like, If you you know block shots with your face, you too can be Kelly Buckberger one day. They're like, Okay, fine, here comes the blockings.
2: Yeah, those times change though. But uh um <laughs> uh, but you know what? Uh, we had uh it was tough, I think, through the whole organization. The two years that I was there, uh, the funding wasn't quite right there for us. And uh, they battled through it. And, and good for the town and the city of Musha that uh, they created a, a great franchise. And now they have a beautiful rink. I don't know if you guys have been in the oh, rink yeah, the new it crush Can. It's probably one of the best WHL arenas out there right now.
6: Well, but let's also talk about the Crush Kang, because that was also one of the best arenas in the WHL. How was it playing in that intimate setting?
2: It was great, actually. I I had two dress rooms. I had the Musha Warriors dress room, and then I had the Krusty Canucks, uh, uh, old timers <laughs> oh, dress room. We've been where, that one. Oh, that what one is, what is this?
4: That beer had, fridge is something else. I had
2: a stall and exactly by the beer fridge. It was excellent. <laughs> so I used to play twice a day.
6: <laughs> oh, Krusty. But, so for context, the Krusty yeah. Canucks are just like this, like OG crew of hockey guys that play hockey. Like they have like Wednesdays at two or Fridays at three. Right. And, But they got a dedicated dressing room inside uh, the arena. The arena
4: let men's league teams that always played have their own dressing room, which is such a cool thing, right? And they party there all the time. All the old boys are in there that used to play for the Krusty Canucks. They come down after games. So you were a ringer
2: for these guys? Oh, I'd just go out after (laughs) our practices if they were going to practice. And I'd just go because I was friends with some of the billets that were – playing it. them I and it ranged from one guy was 91 years old coming in from a farm area i can't remember the town and then the, probably the oldest guy was probably 40 45 but it is a great atmosphere in there they had a lot of jerseys hung and uh, that was their home that was their home away from home
4: when the when the warriors drafted you and you came to your first camp how old were you
2: actually i wasn't drafted by the warriors i was oh. i was uh with uh, the Pats at that time and you got listed back then and then uh, myself and a couple other guys got moved to uh, Moosha throughout the summer, and then uh, the Troy Edwards and I and I, I can't remember. So you were I. drafted by the Pats and then moved. You, you really weren't drafted then. You were listed. Okay. You were put on a list. I got gotcha. you. Yeah.
4: So when you showed up at camp, did you know that you had a spot then on the team? No, nope,
2: not not all. Um, actually, I played for the Melville Millionaires the year before. Yeah. How old were you then when you were playing? Then? I was 15, 16, 15. So your uh, first year as a yeah. Warrior, you're
4: 16. Yeah.
2: yeah. Or 17. 17. Okay. And then uh, got drafted that year, and from then on, it just went from there.
4: Was it when you, when you took the ice for the first time as a Warrior, were you like, oh, man, I've arrived? Like, this is happening.
2: Well, it was it was unreal uh, being part of the whole thing, and and uh, I knew Theron Flurry because he grew up not far from where I grew up, and he lives like fifteen minutes away from me. He's just on the other side of the border, the Manitoba border. So I knew him quite well. Uh spent a lot of time with him, and then Mike Keene. I really didn't know Mike, and we played on the line um, off and on together, and uh, and we you know we had some success. And if you play, I honestly think. if if you guys are too young, but to watch Theron Fleury flurry, when he was uh, in junior hockey, he probably was the most exciting junior hockey player I've I've ever seen in my lifetime because, um, he, he wasn't scared of anybody. It didn't matter who he was. He, he was back then. He was probably only a buck 30 and how small, small he was. And, uh, no, he's blowing up a little bit right now. <laughs> and uh, he he was just so exciting to watch. He had so much energy, and he was so skilled. He can make things happen. And, you know, it was a privilege to play with him and being a good friend of his.
5: Well, I remember he was like, when, when watching the Battle of Albertas, he was always, I used to love watching him play because I just liked little guys that could, you know, were feisty and could do anything. When you were playing against him and he was running around being a shithead, or did you ever go up to him and just say like look man i can't protect you tonight like something's going to happen if you don't like if you're friends right you uh, he
2: he usually played on the first line and i played on the third and fourth so I, I would never well, see him
5: maybe 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 skate by hey, the we, bench or something we, say hey Th- theo maybe just tone her down tonight we weren't getting the, the same mad. quality ice time
2: <laughs>
5: well like
6: you hear like crazy stories of the dub back in the day like of like Manson and Baumgartner and PA like sitting in opposing teams benches that was our bench that was oh shit (laughs) so you know the story so what are some of the craziest things that like that, that, that you've witnessed in 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 the old version of the dub
2: well in in our area there there was bench clearing brawls so and and it was unreal. Like I went through the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League the year before, so I knew what it was all about. It was tough. Like the Saskatchewan Junior League probably was the toughest league you've ever been in before. And so when coming to the Dub, it was. I didn't think it was anything different because it was like in Melville, every seventh game we were clearing the benches and and brawls oh, and exciting. Uh, and so when we went to Moose Jaw. We we seemed to brawl Regina every fourth game, like bench-clearing brawls where the cops would come in and everything else, and it was tough. You know, they had Stu Grimson, and we didn't have a very tough team, but, you know, we got obviously shit kicked a lot. There's no question about that. And then we go into PA and... You know they would take our net and, and uh, in warm up and, <laughs> and uh, bom- shit. Now if
4: it happened, they'd call the coast guard and they'd land yeah. a helicopter outside and arrest everybody within yeah. five kilometers of
1: the arena.
2: Kenny Baumgartner, he was a tough guy back then, and he played in the NHL. He had a successful career, and he sat on our bench and drank our water during the warm up. So. <laughs> yeah. What do you do?
4: Like it, it's so mind shattering that someone have the nuts to do. What do you do when someone's doing? It? You just sit there and watch.
2: I asked him if he wanted a refill. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the right thing to ask.
4: (laughs) So you get drafted in the ninth round. Are you jacked? Are you like, oh, shit, I'm in?
2: Well, back then there was 12 rounds. So uh, the the biggest thing about hockey, it doesn't matter where you get drafted. And that's where I tell my kids now uh, in Tri-Cities that – we only had one kid drafted this this year, but there was a few kids drafted the year before. And I said, it doesn't matter when you're drafted. It's just a matter of how bad you want it after the fact. And it was just a number. All it is is a number where you got drafted. There's many players that, that have got drafted later in their in, later in the rounds that beat first-rounders out, second-rounders, because they had the will and they had the mindset to really try and achieve what they really want. And when you see that, you really see guys develop quick. And you, you know the guys that are cheaters, they're not going to make it. They're, they absolutely aren't going to make it because they're ch- cheating on their workouts. They're cheating on their game. They're cheating on the system. They're cheating on everything. They're not going to make it. The guys that are detailed guys that are young and know and they get it, they're the ones who will make it.
5: And then you made your NHL debut right? In the 1987 Stanley cup yeah. finals. That's mm-hmm. a small feat. That is a small, no How did pressure? That happen? it says that you are the most recent HL player to do that, which is pretty I, uh, crazy. How'd that feel?
2: Well, there's a little bit of a story and I hope we have time for it all. We have time. time for oh. everything. For everything. Yeah. stay here yeah. for 20 years. <laughs> so I played the whole season in, in uh, Nova, Scotia? Nova Scotia, Halifax. And, uh, and it was a great season. I had a lot of fun, a lot of experience. I went there at 19 and, uh, I, uh, I had 38 fights in 50 some games. Ended up in the hospital twice with infection and stuff like that. So, at the end of the season, they like you know they in the minors they call up the guys Black Aces they call us up. So, but you have nothing to do with the team. You you don't practice with the team. You just hang out with each other and you know get bag skated and uh, and you know practice every day. So you know we're there for the whole playoffs and then. uh there was rumors maybe they would put me in, but I was never skating with the team or anything. So I'm like, okay, whatever. We're just going out every night in Edmonton, and we you know, all <laughs> from Barry Tease to... Oh, Barry Tease! ...to uh, Sidetrack, and I could go on and on and on. And you had and, no
6: uh, responsibilities. That, you're just yep. here to so, air. Yeah. Just, That's I, black ace life.
2: Yeah, and uh, you're, uh, we had a great time. But what happened was um, the night uh, before the first game... Uh, the Sound Cup final. I had some buddies from Saskatchewan come up and I said, they're they're, they're cowboys and they're, they're small town guys. Said, Let's go to Esmeraldas.
5: he's so, on a Tuesday?
2: Uh, I have no doesn't idea. Hey,
5: when you're When you're a black ace, it doesn't matter what night yeah, it every is. Night is <laughs> in every, every night is on Tuesday. Every night is a <laughs> well, Saturday black night. <laughs> <bread>. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah.
2: So we went out and we partied all night and uh, I think I got home at four o'clock in the morning or something like that. And so I go to the rink in the morning and we had practiced at eight o'clock the black aces. So, i got a good four hours which isn't bad and uh and then sparky was there and sparky goes bucky uh slash wants to talk to you and i had no equipment in my stall and i'm like oh fuck they caught me they probably know that it was out and stuff like that. so so i go into slats's office he's sitting in there and he goes so did you have a good night last night i said yep and he goes did you get some sleep i go oh yeah lots of sleep lots of sleep he goes do you think you can play tonight I go, absolutely. He goes, okay, your, your equipment's in the main dressing room. You're playing tonight. So and good. And <laughs> that, that was the start of my NHL career.
4: Does your heart fall to your stomach? Or are you like, I'm ready? Oh, no, I you're need, probably I need excited. One they probably, of sleep
0: they
6: probably got sleep. rid of the hangover. And the first yeah, game was in the finals. Yep. Holy shit. What was your
4: but, reaction?
2: Well, it was one of those things where I heard maybe, but you're a black case. You never practiced with a team once and it ain't going to happen and then obviously it happened but I was just so jacked i ended up going practicing with the team in the pregame skate and obviously couldn't sleep in the afternoon and then and then some of the guys are going like what are you going to do you are out all night i'm like i know i know i'll figure it out i'll figure stop, it out stop and reminding uh, me so i was like okay i got to do something i wanted to do something right away to get noticed and so um my very first shift I uh, ran Dave Brown. I don't know if you guys remember Dave oh, yeah. Brown. I remember Dave Brown? And uh, fought him that shift. Oh your my god! Your first shift
4: in the NHL, you fought Dave Brown in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yep. God damn!
2: It's a hell of a start.
0: When you found out, like when Slats tells you you're going in, well, who was the first phone call you made?
2: We didn't have cells back then, young
0: fellow. I know. <laughs> about, obviously, I walked cell phones, six blocks but, like, and <laughs> called my mom. Was it like that? You went and found some way to like call your parents and stuff and be like, well, "Hey, I, I'm going to be in the lineup tonight. I,
2: like, you better watch." I went straight to practice and then. uh we just—I uh, talked to mom and dad on. Um, I stayed at the Forum Inn, so I had the uh,
5: Forum Inn. That's where you guys stayed.
2: I collect call to mom and dad.
5: <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you, didn't put, you didn't have enough change, or put, put the little piece of foam in yeah, the in the yeah. bottom part where you used to get free calls
2: to rig it up. Yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. No, you stayed at the Forum yeah. Inn many a night. <laughs> I like, have.
2: he was at the penalty box back then.
5: Oh yeah.
6: So in your kind of rise to the NHL, who like who did you look up to? Who did you try to model your game after?
2: Well, you know, I idolized uh, Mess when I was growing up. I, I really liked the way he played hard and, you know, he's a leader and, and everything that goes with it. And as the years goes on, we, we ended up being really good friends. And uh, I think if I really look back to my career and how it started was, it started with Craig Matavish being there for me right from the start. Uh, we were roommates um, in the hotel and training camp in, in 85 when I got drafted. And he really taught me a lot. And uh, to this day, we're still best friends. We talk almost, he's in Russia. We talk maybe a couple of t- days a week. And uh, it, it's just, uh, he's one of those guys that if you ever meet him, you're going to love him for life. He's one of those guys that doesn't have an enemy. Um, and he he's all out for helping everybody as much as he can.
4: It's amazing how, like, obviously it's amazing the Oilers of the 80s and how many cups they won, everything like that. But it's amazing, like, even you come in in 87, like the quality of the players that are not the players that are talked about in 2019. Like the, the, the whole organization in those days from top to bottom was the class of the NHL.
2: Well, the culture of the Oilers back then, and I can only talk from my experience cause I was so young and you know, for the first five years, I probably never said a word in the dress room. Um, it's just because we had the best players in the world and they never were traded there. We bring in one or two guys a year to fill in spots. And, uh, you know, when you have that much skill and that many great quality guys, um, you, you have a recipe for a winning team. And you can go down the list. Uh, it's amazing how many great players they had. And, and, and a lot of, a uh, shout out to the s- scouting staff, um, Slats and, uh, you know, Teddy, Muck and Ryan Lowe, the way they developed all these guys and kept them all in check. But I can honestly say just from being there such, at a young age and just listening to the, the guys, it wasn't so much how much they talked is how much they, how hard they played in practice and games. And that's, that's w- really the true character of a leader. And there was a lot of leaders. There's no question. And uh, is that they, they didn't talk a lot. They went out and they proved every night that uh, they were the best team in the world.
3: You talked about the culture as a, as a young guy coming into the NHL. What was that culture back then? What did it mean to be an Edmonton oiler back in those days?
2: Well, I think, uh, because they were winning so much and it was so hard to make the team for everybody, uh, because they had, you know, their top nine, you know, I think guys in the third line were scoring 30, 40 goals at, at that time. And I think like on the fourth line, a T was at times, he, he would score 20 goals a year at, on the fourth line. And, uh, there was always tough guys, but. I just think that it was a family. It really was. And and you talk to anybody that have won, and you'll talk to the players from St. Louis this year that they won. It was family. They were tight. They would do anything for any, And, and that goes for everybody, any sport, baseball, football, and uh, obviously hockey. But it becomes a family, and you're tight, and you'll do anything for each other. And it doesn't matter what happens off the ice. You help them out, and it didn't matter. Like, I remember guys driving guys home, you know, that left their cars in the bar, <laughs> many nights like three nights in a row at times so but the culture i think was unreal back then and it really it was great for me because i ended up not saying anything and just watching and listening and 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 not i wasn't a leader when i went when i came to the others but uh, obviously um of listening and watching the guys uh, made me a way better leader
5: so, in 1987, when you did start, uh, you had your NHL debut in the Stanley Cup Finals. You guys want a cup that year. That, yep. was, that was a year. So, what was that like? Like, that must have been like a whirlwind. Like you went from one black week. ace to you, holding you the cup over your head? Yeah, you went in like one yeah. week. 20 days? <laughs> you get in, and then within maybe 10 days, you're holding the cup above your
2: head. What was well, that like? it like? It was it's unreal. It, but uh, you, you don't forget where you come from. I only played three games in the final that year, yeah. And then uh you get back, any points. I think I got an assist. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and a fight. Which, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was <laughs> Yeah. But it was one of those things that uh, it would just happened really quick, and you're in the moment, and you're part. But I'll honestly say this that. When when I came and I got to play with them, they didn't treat me as a first year player, or rookie. They treated me as one of theirs, and it was unreal. I remember after coming back out of the penalty box onto the bench, and Paul Coffey looked at me. and goes, "You just got yourself a ring," and you know you don't forget those things. Unbelievable! Wow.
5: Like that's in team sports, it's hard to imagine getting the chemistry that right again. You know, like that team for so long just had it.
2: I, I think if you look at Pittsburgh. And maybe Chicago yeah. you know, with Taves and yeah. Kane and, yeah. and Duncan and all those guys. I think they have it. They have it. They had it. Um, I don't know if they're going to you know, bounce back from it. Because Does it of, seem
5: like a team like San Jose has it right now?
2: Well, they haven't won. So I know. That's
4: yeah. the thing. Yeah, Chalmers like, but, gives a shit about San Jose. Who's I don't know, the man.
5: They seem like they... Chalmers were,
6: is debating a futures yeah. bet right now, so he's trying to see if he's What do get some intel. I don't know.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Who do <should laughs> you cheer for next year? What do you Kelly think? Buckberger? San should I cheer Ho- for the Sharks? San Jose at 12 to 1. I've been looking at it. I've been staring at it. Hi. Just they just,
2: you know what, they're always a pretty good um, regular season team, and for some reason, they just can't get it done in the playoffs.
4: Ha! Chalmers, everything come back to that? No. Yeah, All right, shut let, them down. I'll, I'll let like Chalmers Kelly Bookburger, one. Christopher Chalmers, zero. Shadow Z mm-hmm. Sharks, zero.
0: I'll let Chalmers off the hook for a second. We got to step aside, give a big thanks to the fine folks at JAPA Machinery.
4: Have you got holes to dig, earth to pack, and roads to build? Then you need to call JAPA Machinery Group. Does your equipment need a service? You can't fix stupid, but here at Japa Machinery Group, we can fix everything else. With a full range of parts to keep your equipment running smoothly, Jappa Machinery Group is a family-operated and Alberta-grown business. Here to help build a bigger and better Western Canada, give us a call or visit us at jappamachinery.com. Jappa Machinery Group, join the family.
0: Welcome back. Episode 134, Nation Real Life. The whole gang's here, and Kelly Buckberger's here as well. During the break, we always waste our good content during the commercial breaks. We can't stop being interesting, M Chuck. That's all we know. (laughs) Um, You were saying that early on, like in the 87, 88, there were no days with the Stanley Cup?
2: Yeah, not that I remember and not that they would give it to me anyways because I was so young. But uh, no, it actually, I think it it first started in 90 um, when we got the Cup. So before that, uh, no one really had time with the Cup um we always had a a big party Slots always had a big party with the cup there and everybody brought their families kids and uh and you know get pictures with the cup then but before that uh there was nothing and 90 um we all got our day or two days with it whatever it was and i just had a huge uh, party at my house and uh, and a lot of stupid pictures
5: did the oilers have anything to do with changing that like what changed that did the nhl just decide hey do you have any idea i
2: I don't know that, Chris, for sure. I don't know exactly what happened. Oh, well, whatever. And, uh, you, you benefited from it though. way. Yeah, hey, it, was, a- it was excellent.
5: So what did you do? You just had it at your house, big party? Yeah, we drinks, just had a out of it.
2: backyard party, barbecue with uh, a lot of friends and family and neighbors come and, you know, we had it out in the front and anybody that wanted to come take a picture. So
4: cool. There's been somebody in my life, somebody must have been at the golf course, but they told us, I can't remember who it was right now, but they're telling a story. They're like, one time when I was a kid, word went around the neighborhood that Kelly Buckberger had the Stanley Cup on his front lawn and anybody who wanted to come take a photo could. And like children were running out of their houses and like (laughs) running towards you like you guys are Santa. That's such an amazing thing. I think one of the things the Oilers of the 80s did so well was involve the community.
2: And I think it's great. I think the league has done a great job with – promoting the, the, the game with, with the Stanley Cup. And, and you look at uh, St. Louis, and I, I follow on social media where the guys are with the Cup all the time. And, and they're really giving back to the communities where they grew up and, and the rinks where they, you know, developed their skills. And uh, when you see that, it, it really comes back to the quality of people that play in the NHL and, and run the NHL. is that uh, Because they want to give back at where all the players started from. And, you know, you look at the guys from St. Louis that brought the cup to, what is there, two guys from Edmonton? Yeah, Bo, Bo Brinko and Bo Brinko. Brinko. Yeah, you know, and I followed them in uh, social media where they were doing it, and they were, I think they took it out to one bar at one time. And, you know, they're they're um, spending their time with the public with it, which is absolutely great.
6: And there was Berube, who's from Callahoo, who had it at the rink in Callahoo. Uh, yeah, he was in Caesars, yeah. Caesars.
2: Yeah, he, he he, the he's, he, he, yeah, he's a just a pool. great guy. He, yeah, he is a great guy. And you can see why the players played so hard for him. And he really was the reason. And he changed the culture of that team in a quick time for them to win a Stanley Cup. And And hats off to him because he's such a great, great quality guy. And and he was a great teammate.
4: What an amazing, like, come to the team in the last place, weren't they, when he came aboard as coach?
2: And yeah. it didn't happen overnight right away because I think uh, it was two, three weeks into the after he took over, that they hadn't moved, and uh, I think they, uh, after I think six seven games, they ended up turning it around and, and going from there. But it, it's just a great story what he did with that team and how he turned them around. Did you ever fight him? Uh, I probably did. I, I don't probably
5: know Probably. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Calgary, hundred ninety four NHL
2: fights <laughs> yeah. over here. Trust me, you are gonna
6: one. basically yeah.
4: everybody got punched. When you were when you're when you're in that so that in nineteen eighty eight you come back after having won a cup and you're twenty. And then you sort of split your time between Cape Breton and Edmonton that season,
2: right? It was Halifax.
4: Halifax, sorry. You're, you're going back and forth between, yep. so you get the long-ass flight every time you get sent down and called up. I
2: think I got sent down eight times.
4: oh, holy holy oh. shit. What was the yeah. flight? Halifax, Toronto, Toronto, Tr- Edmonton?
2: Yeah, exactly what okay. it is, yeah
4: unbelievable i used to always wonder like cape breton's like on the, in halifax too like the far eastern tip like what genius set that up we're like you know where we'll put them the far east end of the whole aspect. but there was
2: a lot of teams like calgary had their farm team in moncton back then and uh quebec they were in freddy and so there a lot of teams were in that area and good but, fans and uh yeah actually we drew very well and uh i think they still play in the same arena that uh we played in back in uh the Mooseheads play there yeah Yeah. yeah. In, in 80 86 87 so
4: so you, you split your time in 88, and then you made the Oilers full-time in 89? Yeah. Yeah, and so when you when you came back then, like, what was your approach? You're like, okay, now I'm 21, I know everything, I'm seasoned, I'm an AHL vet, or were you like, this is still the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club, and I'm starting from scratch?
2: I, I think from uh, being taught um, at a young age with those guys, and it, the, I think the biggest thing that I learned is that you have to prove yourself every day. And I, I don't think anybody in our team took their position for granted uh, back then, I think every day that, you know, everybody was proud to put an oiler jersey on and uh, you came to work every day. And I and I can honestly say that I don't ever remember a guy taking a day off. And uh, we had great teachers with Mess, Kevin, Mac T, Wayne. I can go down the list of all the guys, but um, they, they actually taught you how what it means to play in the NHL and so you never took anything for granted.
5: So around that time you watched Gretzky get traded and the team go to mess and like well, how did it kind of feel around that time? What did you experience through it all?
2: Well I was pretty young at that yeah. time but I, I think uh you know with, with Mark and Kevin and and T and you know Andy was still there and Fierzy so was so many leaders. Uh, so many great leaders still there. Um and you know we we ended up getting Marty or Marty went sorry Marty went um uh, who did we get? We got Jimmy Carson yeah. and a bunch of other guys. but Murph? No, Murph came from Detroit. Yeah, he came oh, from yeah, yeah, Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And so the biggest thing is that we really had a, a strong family. Uh, obviously, we were missing the best player in the world, but we also had the best goalie. And uh, I, I, I can't remember, was Kauf gone by then? I think kauf was gone by then. But we had some good young D also. And uh, we really gelled well in 90 and, and found a way to win that Stanley Cup. So, when Did-
4: Wayne Gretzky leaves the dressing room and, like, the greatest player in the world walks out, like, that's obviously got to be a very big hole. Like, do you guys have a meeting? Are you like, hey, where the Gretzky Oilers Oilers? Well, you got the greatest leader. Dicks?
5: You got the greatest leader in sports history. Uh, and, like and I'm message.
4: trying to fucking ask Chalmers what he said jesus
5: Christ. well i think so then say what did it's mess horse say? racing all just over again what did mess say no, <laughs> I,
2: I, I, I think with all those guys uh and uh we didn't ever have a leadership group but back then not a lot of teams now have leadership groups but i i really feel that everybody led by example with that team and there was not a lot said after um because we did, we got off to a little bit of a shaky start and uh i think we were just a little over 500 but uh it was amazing, um, you know, and, and there's no question, Fierzy and uh, Billy Ranford were unreal for us. And uh, obviously, he got us the uh, Stanley Cup and, and got us where we were. But I think that, you know, you're gone. And a lot of players, when you're traded, you, no one never talks about anymore. But Oh, really? But you're kind of, you're done, you're out of the thing. But with Wayne, it was always there. Like, you know, if we had Wayne, you know. But uh, if you, when you go around the NHL and, guys are traded. They're not talked about anymore, really in the dressing room, you know, maybe for the beer, everybody moves on. It's just like the coaching business. When you're gone, you're gone. Someone's going to take your spot. And I always think of Bobby Hall when, um, he was playing and he he got moved. uh, Something happened to him or he retired. And, uh, and he's such a legend, and uh, in his own part. And he goes, you know what? And they asked him, who's? How are they ever going to replace you? He goes, everybody's replaceable. So, and not saying Wayne was, but uh, you know, I, I'd say we got lucky in '90 to win that cup um, with the team we had, and everybody found a way to pull it together. But uh, with Wayne, we'll always talk about Wayne as an oiler.
4: I think it's super crazy, like the '80s Oilers, because we're young guys, relatively speaking. Not your M check young, but that what can you do? Like, the highs and lows of being an Oilers fan from 1980 to 2000. Like, the lowest of lows, the highest of highs, in like, such a short span of time. As somebody who was there throughout it all, like, were there years? Like, how did you manage the expectations, like, internally of, like, well, two years ago, we are going to win the Cup. Now we're fucked. That's great news.
2: Well, I, I, it started, and and you know what? The money started coming, I think, in the league at that time and in the 90s, and, and Mess had left to go to New York, and Kevin left uh, to obviously join him later on. And Matt T went to New York and, and guys were moving on and, and we, we didn't have um, a lot of leadership in the group anymore. And cause a lot of guys were moved and guys were gone all over the place. And, uh, and you know what, we ended up getting some guys and, and we ended up making it to the semifinal of one year. I think we lost to Chicago in the semifinal. If I'm not mistaken, I really have to look mm-hmm. back, but um, but then it got really lean after that, and we didn't – I think we missed the playoffs a couple of times. And then Ronnie Lowe came aboard, and I thought he – to me, Ronnie Lowe, and to this day, is my favorite coach that I've ever had. Um, if you know Ronnie, you're going to love him right from the minute you met him because he's all about team. He's all about helping each other to get to the best you can. And he wasn't much of an X and O guy, but he was more of a motivator and could get the best out of his players. And you can ask anybody in our generation. And, you know, I, I golf, I went on a golf trip with uh, Cujo uh, last year in Phoenix. He came and joined a bunch of us. And uh, he still says that uh, his favorite coach was Ron Lowe. And Bye. so
5: when, yeah, when Ronnie Lowe came on, was that when you became captain in 95? Yes, it was. That was the year. So was it his decision to make you captain there?
2: Um, I think it was voted, and then uh, Ronnie made the decision after that.
5: So you were captain for four years right after that. And in that period of time, you gave me my best memory of the 90s for hockey, uh, for the Oilers hockey, when I saw you streaking down, doing your best Messier impression, and scoring in overtime to beat Dallas. Wow
2: well, remember that game? I, I don't think I was supposed to be on the ice, but I just snuck on Oh, that man, that. it was so good. Before you came she called here, your own number, but it was the right call. Before you
5: came here, we watched... The highlights of that game, and it, they they still consider it on some websites as like the greatest comeback in NHL history in a playoff game.
2: Well, it, the, if you look back at it, uh, uh, the Coliseum, I think it was empty because people were all leaving that's, and they were driving down. And starting. I think we scored. Was it? Uh, you have to refresh my memory. Three goals, three in, a goals minute, in a minute, minute and a half. I, would, yeah. I was at that game, right? And I was yeah.
4: sixteen, and my sister and I were there. We're too little to drive, so our mom had to come get us. So it wasn't an option to leave early. But we're diehard other fans, like fuck it, we're sticking it out, and. The, that was one of the greatest Oilers games of all time. If we could be here till the year three thousand. It's going to take a lot to make a like a that, the cheer when you scored. Yeah. Man, that that'll get me through ten playoff playoffless years. Just remembering those things.
2: It was one of those games that, and I think was it this year that uh, some team came back with three oh, goals. Yeah,
6: Vegas or uh Santa San Vegas, Jose did it against Vegas. Vegas. Oh, your favorite
4: Chalmers the San Jose Sharks
6: yeah Love they them.
2: did it what were they down 5-3 or something 5-2 yeah. and they Shady sc- goal, too, and I there remember? was a 5 on 3 right or yeah for 5 minutes 5 yeah. minutes and they scored 5 goals yeah, or something it's easy when
4: you have a 5 on 3 for 5 fucking minutes try doing it where Mike Greer had to score the weirdest goal of ever seen where he like <laughs> took a slap shot into the ice and the puck skipped up past whoever it was like
6: <laughs> in in, in that in that game because it is iconic uh especially like for Oilers fans during that time um When did you guys, like, there's like a minute and a half left, like, out of, like, first goal, second goal, third goal. When did you guys know you were going to tie that game? Like, when did you feel it? Like, the first one was maybe lucky, but, like, and Dougie Wade scored, he I don't, wasn't even happy. I don't even, He's like, wow, yeah, like, whatever. When you're what?
5: watching the highlights, it th- you can't even yeah. tell that they knew they were going to do it. Like, after two, they, they're celebrating. Watch the celebrating. <laughs> they're all going different yeah. directions. Yeah, well, and like, everybody's like, what
6: is off. happening? It's like, did you, awesome. Did you guys know it at some point? Like Maybe after you scored the second goal, you had a chance?
2: I, you know Who can explain the momentum? momentum. There's no yeah. no one great. can. Exp- I can't explain it, but it, it seemed like uh, who scored the first goal? Was it Kovalenko or yeah. Dougie? Yeah, Kovalenko. Kovalenko then and then, you know what? Okay, well, we got one. And then we scored again, and then... Okay, well, then we were just coming hard, and then it just happened. And it was unreal where they collapsed, and we just kept capitalizing on every chance we had. And it was one of those games that you'll never forget. Like, we talk about it all the time, but it's still, you know, beating Dallas uh, later on in that series it was all because of that first game.
4: Yeah. Those years when you got, and I'm sure, like, it, sadly, a lot of time has passed. Not that much time, but a lot. But, like, those years were as Dallas, Colorado, Colorado, Dallas every goddamn year. Like as a player, were you like, oh, perfect, another fucking year against one of these two teams?
2: Well, they were so much better than us. There's no question. And then, so and, much heart, though. And Fuck. then you put Colorado in there at the same time. But uh, I, I believe that we had the best goalie. We had Cujo, yeah. and he gave us a chance. If you look at some of the saves in that Dallas series, w- was unreal <sighs> what he did. And going back to Cujo, did you guys read his book? Yes. Okay. he He's just he's an unreal person. Guy. Yeah. Just a great person. And, and the way he come out of all that and to be the player he was and the person even is even bigger. And, uh, you know, he, he to me, he's just one of those great players that you meet in your career that you'll never forget.
4: When you guys were, I uh, don't mean to interrupt your bag here, but like, just want to talk about those, those years. Like, Obviously, all those fans, we've had a hard run of late. I don't know if you're paying attention. There's been playoffs few and far between. But I swear (laughs) to God, I'm still running on, like, 97, 98, 99 vibes. I'm like, you never fucking know. Kelly Buckbury might fucking score. You (laughs) can suck on that. We just came back. Like, you really, in those years for me, made me feel like anything was possible. Like, heart does triumph over skill.
2: And I I think our team was, uh, uh, back to Ronnie Lowe, the way he built the culture with the team. Um, If you didn't work hard, you didn't play. And... This is prime example. Uh, we went into the playoffs, I, I can't remember what year, and he, we had a meeting uh, the night before the first game, and he said, listen, if you're not accountable and you're not buying in, you're not going to play. And after the first game, he didn't dress your favorite player right here, Ryan Smith.
4: Excuse me?
2: Yes, he didn't, dre- didn't dress him.
4: If you were anybody other than Kelly Buckberger, I would say, sir, you are wrong, but I, I believe you fully. I,
2: I think he scored 40 goals that year, and Ronnie didn't dress him the following game. And then the next game he came, he played, and he scored two goals. That's
6: how you bounce nah, back, That's Fitty. how you coach. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, uh, so, Sorry. Oh. No, no. Nope. Go no, ahead. No, no, I'm jumping in. I'm jumping Jump in. Jump no, no, no. Jump in. Jump in. I'm, I'm an emotional interviewer.
3: Go ahead. I'm going to build off it. Go
6: ahead. Um, we're talking about hard work, and this is now just talking to Kelly Buckberger, the person, probably the most in-shape guy I've ever known throughout my entire life. Yeah, I've been I asked su- him I've earlier, Jay, if he was time. still in the
4: same shape as when a
6: player, Where- and he said, I feel good yeah that's what fit people say where do you get your motor from like you you have drive and determination to work hard in all aspects where does this come from
2: well i think it comes back to my mom and dad and uh they were both hard workers my dad was a miner. uh my mom was a stay home mom for a while and then ended up being a, a cook at a restaurant back home but i i just felt how hard they worked and uh you know they taught us that nothing comes for free and uh, we always had to work for what we got we didn't have a lot of money in our family so we all left young, like I, I left at 14 to go play and my brother left to work on the rigs at 16. And then I had two sisters that uh, were stayed home and then, you know, they were very successful. My one sister played in the Olympics, but uh, we all had strong work ethics, all all four of us.
3: You talked about hard work, overcoming skill in those Weathers versus Dallas series. Can you teach hard work like that? Or is that something that's inside you that you just have?
2: You know what? I I think guys will buy in. I I think you usually have your top five guys that are doing it every day and every practice and it it just comes natural. But if back, let's go back a little bit in the eighties and uh, if you didn't buy in, you weren't there very long. Um, It was from the players would, you know, pretty much, go to slots. not that I know this for sure and say, Hey, he's not buying in. He's not part of us. And they would move on. So I I think you can build hard work out of guys. Uh, If you're not buying in and to what they're selling, you're going to get moved. And it doesn't matter what organization you play for and you're going to be part of, if you're not buying into what they're going to preach, Uh, You're going to get moved. And you've seen it throughout the NHL and baseball and hockey. If guys aren't buying in, you know, they don't want the problems. They want guys that are buying in and uh, they're playing for the team.
5: But that's good. That's when teammates take accountability, you know, for other teammates. You have to go in and show. You can't take a moment off, you know, when the coaching staff leaves. You've got to continue to work hard, even if you're just with one other teammate. Like back then, that must have been a big deal.
2: I think it it was because. The culture back then was unreal. Like the guys, we didn't really have a gym back then. I remember the Oilers when I first came; they had a universal set with a couple bikes, and all the guys just used to hang their clothes on them back then. <laughs> That'll do, boys. That's all you need to get started. So, but we did a lot of our conditioning on the ice. Like we practiced hard. I don't back in in the mid '80s when I came our practices were hard. Like guys would get traded to the Oilers and they couldn't keep up in our practices because they were high pace. Um, you know, a lot of movement and, uh, you know, and we didn't play a trap. We played a two, one, two the whole time that I was with the Oilers. And so you had to skate and you had to move and our practices were designed around that.
3: Do you think a team can lose that culture?
2: Yeah, I think so. One hundred percent. If you lose a couple, three key players in your, in your organization that really brought a lot of that, um, uh, it can be lost. And you know what? Um, I, I don't know what's going on with the Oilers. I, I've been gone for a while. And I really feel um, Matt Hendricks was a huge part of the culture with the Oilers. And when I was there, he just came aboard and not that he's going to fill the net or put a lot of stats up, but his work ethic, his accountability and his accountability for other players was huge. And he kept players accountable in practice and in games. And uh, he was a huge part. There's no question. And you know, Winnipeg signed him and and you know what? They when they lost him to I think he went to Minnesota or something yep. like that. It was they, they talk about how much he meant to that team and it was a huge loss. So when you lose key guys like that, they might not be your best players, but they're the guys, the glue guys in the in the dressing room that bring everybody a part of it.
4: We had Hendricks on the show, and we were talking about how he was 27 years old. And he'd never played a game in the NHL. He'd only been in the A the entire career. Yep. I asked him, I'm like, how do you go back off season after offseason to your hometown and know that you haven't played a minute in the show and still dedicate yourself to the fitness regime in the offseason to come back just as hard? Like, aren't all your buddies who got drafted, they're playing, they're spending checks. You're still making AHL money. And I'm like, did you know you're going to play in the NHL? And he looked me in the eye, and my blood went cold. He's like, yeah, I knew. And then when he left, I was like, are you still going to play in the AHL? He's like, I got a lot of hockey left to me. I'm like, you do? I'm sorry.
2: He's got a lot of drive. And you know what? I was fortunate to coach him, so I, I knew everything about him. And um, the way story. Th- he worked, and, and his story is exactly right. You know, you play in the AHL for, what? I guess he would have played eight years, nine years, or seven years in the AHL. Yeah. And that's not an easy league. That's a lot of busing. That's a lot of movement. And uh, just to still have that drive to make it and, uh, you know, to out to him. I don't know if he's retired now or... I think he retired this summer. He retired this summer? Yeah. He might have, yeah. But well, it's, great
5: it's career. Minnesota grabbed him for a scout. Yeah. It speaks to his character. When he moved to Edmonton, he moved into a certain area, and his next-door neighbor was a friend of ours. And they became, like, where much, you know, a lot of guys might keep to themselves, they became, like, best friends. He yeah. would bring them to every game, like, just... Was just a good guy, I think, all the way around. So
2: he, he's one of those guys that are quality people. Like uh, you know, he he ranks up there like a guy like Mac T that brings everybody together. He's one of those guys, and uh, you know he he's one of the, he's a great penalty killer. He's one of those role players that can fill that role and do his job, and he takes a lot of pride in it. And when you take your pride in your job like he did, and a lot of those guys in those roles are your penalty killers, they take a lot of pride in it because, you know, that's their ice time. That's their quality ice time. They don't get to go on the power play for a minute 30 and and get pulled off because they'll never get a chance to get on it. And not that Maddie should be on it, but. <laughs>
5: yeah, probably, yeah. So I want to go back to your practice. Um, I was thinking about something the other day, and, like, I saw some pictures. And, like, did you used to like practicing at the West Edmonton Mall? And do you think that's something that, like, the Oilers should bring back? Going to the West Edmonton Mall practice. I respect that question. That's great for I the fans. I respect friends. it. Yeah. Here's another... Here's a, here's I a part, see, this is brought to you by the mall. Here's a part two to that question. When I was a kid, I used to go to the Twin Towers Hockey School, and you used to show up every year to the Mayfield Hockey School or the one at Collingwood. And these, like, players used to just show up to hockey schools at all times. Like, I can remember one time, like, four of you guys showed up just in the middle of the day to our last ice session. And it was like the greatest thing for all of us. And it just, you brought, you saw, you talked about community earlier, like going to the West Edmonton mall when I was a kid, cause I knew the others were practicing. That was huge to me. I wanted to sit at the end and just watch. And you know, you got to see how hard these guys practiced. It was, I don't know. It was a big deal. What did you think of that?
2: Well, I, I think we practiced there. We had to practice there 14 times a year. And um, we were probably hung over 14 of the times because <laughs> it was the hottest rink yeah, we've yeah, ever it's been in. It was <laughs> just a hot, and <laughs> the sun's beating, and you're sweating 10 times harder than you should be. But, uh, it, you know, it was one of those things where the community could see the team and get a little closer to them. Um, and you, you go back to the hockey schools. And, and the thing is with uh, back then is that everybody kind of lived, the money wasn't huge; um, it was big, but guys ended up living here all summer and all winter, and they ended up being part of the community. Now, with guys, uh, you know the way the contracts are; they have their summer homes, they have places where they used to live, and they have their Edmonton house for the winter time. So, the mo- majority of the players that I know don't live here in uh, in the summertime now. So, you're probably not going to see that as much.
5: Right. Well, I, w- I want to tell one before Beg Milk does his thing. I want to tell one Mac T story. After a Twin Towers hockey camp, gotta respect guys, the fact this is interview is about you, Chalmers. Just, I'm going to make it. it about me for one second. Yes, <laughs> dude, go ahead. We, you guys, on the ice, and because my mom knew you and Mac T and all these guys, he, she, you guys allowed me and Andy Penny to come and play a scrimmage with you guys. I don't know if you ever remember this. Of course he doesn't. It's goddamn Kelly buckburger The reason he might is because within about the first ten minutes, I was going down the middle, and Mac T had his head turned, and he absolutely crushed me, and I was just like thirteen years old. And he sent me, I literally started at the red line, and I laid down to the blue line. And that's when everybody looked and was like, I don't think this was a fucking good idea. Letting these two kids come up. Andy Penny, bit bigger of a kid. Yeah, I know Andy. Yeah, used to be able to take care of himself, but... This was a cool thing you guys did for us. Like that's- Why did you just say that about Andy Petty? <laughs> what? That he was a big dude like he could he take, take the care of? Would you
4: him to Kelly Burger for the 12 listeners? That's all good. No, How did I like, diss Andy <laughs> Petty? He,
5: was- he does not take care of himself. No, he was a bigger kid, he could take care of himself out there. Oh, I, I was, was kid- small. <laughs> no, no. No, 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 no. But go on. I said I was small. Your and point. so I thought it was really cool. This is the community that I lived in. This is the community that we all yeah. got to enjoy. Like these guys were accessible. <laughs> it was it was awesome, right? Like I don't know. Do your thing.
3: I had this great segue planned because they were talking about practicing. The Oilers practicing at West Edmonton Mall, and I was going to lead right into our friends at the Indochino. Who were a, also at West a Edmonton showroom Mall. Showroom at West Edmonton ah. Mall, and I figured that these guys, they were like, they were practicing hard and they were getting sweaty because it's hot in there. Maybe you head on down to Indochino, get yourself measured up for a brand new suit, Wanye. I like this. I don't know. And then Chalmers jumps in and talks about that time. Do that you remember the time
4: MACT floored me at the Twin Towers <laughs> Hockey School? Of course he does.
3: He does not, but what I can tell you that I'm guessing Kelly Bookberger does remember is getting a brand new suit. Always, guys, you guys are always looking fresh, always looking sharp. Yeah, Kelly
4: Bookberger wouldn't be caught dead at any place other than Saville Row or the Sam Abu Hassan joint.
3: Absolutely. Well, you know what.
4: But normal people like us go to...
3: Normal people like us go to Indochina. Why? Because you get yourself a brand new suit exactly like you want it. You customize, you pick your style, you pick your interior, you pick everything you want, you get measured up, and you have everything you could ever imagine to look as sharp as possible, whether you're going to a grad, whether you're going to a wedding, whether you're going out to watch the team practice at West Edmonton Mall and get floored by a former captain and coach, whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to do, you are going to be looking good in your fresh Indochino suit. And I can tell you that in 10 minutes, you will be measured. You will be customized. Within two to three weeks, you will have a wrinkle-free suit right out of the box from our friends at Indochino.com. Head on down to West Edmonton Mall, watch a little hockey Get yourself measured up. Measure Great. where
4: Chalmers was once floored by MACT. Clean there. your lives up and get a suit.
3: Whatever you need to do. Our friends at Indochino are proud to help you. They are proud to make you look good. Indochino.com. They're ready to serve. <laughs>
5: I know we got Kelly B here, but I'm telling my stories. I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. So you want maybe, another
0: one? Maybe we should story? interview
5: you. You want another? One? Yeah. Kelly, is there anything
3: you'd like to know about? Him? <laughs> is there any crazy you stories you know of Chalmers?
6: It. You know Chalmers' nickname at our golf course, especially as a kid, was was psycho because Chalmers oh. would always do the most rash
5: things. Woody um, gave it to me. Remember Woody? Yeah. So I
4: saw John roll up to Interclub once, his little purple CRX. Remember that thing he used to drive around to when we were younger? He was the coolest guy at the course. Did an e break right in front of the pro shop. Jumped out of his car and ran onto the tee for Interclub. I club. was late sure Surely caught you before you teed off. And you almost got suspended by your own mom.
2: You're not that good to play Interclub.
5: No, it wasn't. It wasn't Interclub. And I was good enough to play Interclub. So there was only like four good golfers. <laughs> it was Junior Interclub, yeah. It was Junior. Yeah. Was oh, junior, junior, okay. junior, Junior. Oh, yeah, nowadays... Buddy, I put in a couple of years your work. Your mom and almost I'd, suspended you. I'd be good enough to play. Well, it wasn't. It was a tournament where a young kid got to play with an older kid, and I all I could think about was that this young kid was standing on the tee, and I wasn't there yet. So I was another an old guy worthy. on the tee, and watch you walk up and be like, mm, uh, "Yeah, you might not want to be playing with that kid so he you, was wearing a tank top you, and a silver fucking chain on the first hole." Okay, so back in the day, here is another thing. Me and Jr., do you remember when we played you and your buddy at golf? You took we you was a accountant. I don't know if it was. It was, the, it was the guy with the long hair.
2: And the mustache. And the
5: mustache. You're like my best friend.
2: Oh, uh, Brian Glenn.
5: Yeah. So you were like, you said to him, you're like, I want to play these two. And I said, I would love to play with you. And we went out and had a match. Of oh, course man. he doesn't remember this shit, Charles. You're describing it. the highlight Just of your life. you do. And
4: Kelly Buckberg is being described an unmemorable day of his very memorable <laughs> life. <laughs> Since we're
6: making this about ourselves, there's a limited golf story. Uh, Kelly invited me to golf with him and Ryan McGill. Whoa. Yeah. And uh, I I wanted to impress him so bad because I was was a junior golfer and I was okay at that point. And he was nice enough to invite me. I'm like, I got to show him that I can hit bombs. And I tried to fucking murder every drive. Just so I could hit nice. one good one yeah. to show Kelly Buckberger. Damn I nice. hit a ball far, yeah. and I fucking hit everyone horrific, and I was embarrassed the whole round.
3: While well, right. we're making it about us, I also want to mention that we took a picture together at Carnival of Champions way back in the day. Nice. I assume you remember that as well, just like you remember the thing.
5: <laughs> another community event that I wish they would just bring back already. Well, that's, Carnival true. Champions? that's that was, true. That was a great yeah. event back in the day.
0: That's true. Yeah,
2: they did a great job of that. And, you know, I, I think they ended up getting that from Philadelphia. Philadelphia did a great job of that back in the day. And I, don't, I still don't know if they still do it. But they raise a lot of money for charity. And it goes to a great cause
4: so you've been involved in the nhl you're talking about a little bit, little bit earlier like the transition from medium-sized business where you're like hey i own the Oilers. i own like a couple four dealerships and maybe a meat packing plant and now you're like hey i own the maple leafs i'm like the ontario teacher pension fund like the money in the nhl has changed dramatically during your time with the sport
2: yeah it hasn't an, and it you know what it, it's great for the players uh, we're all happy the guys have played in our day for the players now um what they're getting and uh it's just the the game has evolved huge now. It's, it's a business. Uh, I remember when I first started the Oilers. I think they had maybe ten, fifteen people work in the office, maybe. And now, uh, what is there three hundred or two yeah, two fifty, yeah. three hundred? And it's just amazing the monster they've built here. And. You know what, even though we've had some lean years here in Edmonton and the fans have been just unreal, like the most dedicated fans, I I probably think in the league, I'll be a little biased about everything. But, you know, we haven't had the success that we want, but the fans are there every night. And, you know, you hear people grumble in the golf course or in lounges that that I'm going to give my season tickets up, but they don't. No, they they never
4: do. I think like so I started watching make about myself now, Chalmers. I started shoveling all See, you're getting started it. shoveling all my
2: neighbor's <laughs> snow, shit.
5: Mr.
4: Buckburger. Sho- shoveled all my neighbor's snow when I was thirteen Mr. about Buckberger. one season. <laughs> fucking show respect. Not my best friend, you piece of shit. Let me finish my story. It's okay, a cool. nice story, Chalmers. It is a great You probably story. aren't around positive
5: conversation much because you're so fucking above All you, right. But I got snow shit. shovel seasons.
4: Bought a season ticket to the Oilers, nineteen ninety four. Shoveled All My Neighbor's Snow. Went with my old grandma. She was eighty eight. I was fourteen. Okay. So I got involved in 94, right? That's like the lean years, right? And it was astounding to me how you guys picked it up from 94, like a low point, to 97, 98. We're in the playoffs. We're, we're shooting and scoring. Like, this is good times are, are happening all around us, through to about 02, 03, And you left to go to the Thrashers in 2000. And I remember being like, well, shit if Kelly Buckberger is leaving in the goddamn expansion draft, we are fucked because who the hell lets her captain bounce in an expansion draft. What was going to Atlanta like? Cause you've, you've talked about coming to the Oilers and there's like a winning culture. How hard was it to go to Atlanta and establish in a non NHL city, an NHL franchise?
2: Well, it was a little disappointing because uh, I think I was only 29 at that time or 30. And, the others pretty much just give me away for nothing.
4: Bullshit. Yeah. yeah.
2: It was for nothing. Our captain.
4: Were you like, we can talk about this now statute of limitations. Were you mad? I was fucking mad as shit.
2: Well, actually, I never even got a phone call from Slots till later on. And he goes, Hey, Kelly, I know you're, you're you know that uh, you're going to get picked up by Atlanta and, and going on. And I was like, Well, why? And he goes, Well, we're moving, you know, like they always say, we're going in a different direction. And uh, I'm like, Okay. Well, he goes, Good luck with everything. And it was a really short call. But when I got there, uh, and Atlanta if you've ever been in Atlanta you fly into the airport the airport is gigantic compared to Edmonton yeah. like it's huge huge and then the traffic the traffic is unbearable and that was back in year 2000 you're not moving at all and we ended up going and finding a house we bought a house there but it was, it was the, the team was unreal we had a good general manager with Donnie Waddell we had a, a rookie coach with Kurt Fraser And we had a lot of misfit guys all over the place that were filling guys in the NHL, and we had just a a terrible, terrible season. We, I left, I got traded at the deadline. We only had twelve wins at that time, and they finished with thirteen. They got one left. Like it was, it was just, it was hard for everybody, and it was so hard for the players and the coaches. But it was probably harder for the organization um, for everybody because you know they sold out. But we weren't getting the results that they wanted to, and then uh, it was a great place to live. We raised, you know, we lived there for a year. But the thing is, you know, is still every day I'd watch, look at the Oilers. Okay, how are they doing? Who's scoring? What's going on? I was more of an Oiler back then than uh, than I was a Thrasher. It's
5: so so interesting that you. I know. I would listen to this podcast if it was available. (laughs) It's interesting that you went through an expansion with Moose Jaw. They were a new team. You said when you started with them, then you become a staple on a team for like. 12 years you're just you know it's consistent and then all of a sudden you're like right back to that expansion did it did, did it remind you back then did you have to think about like okay this is what we have to do again this is the leadership i gotta bring or was you it know, just totally
2: different it was totally different it was just one of those things like it, we brought guys in from all over the place so no one played with each other at all and so i think every team was a uh, had to give up one player like so i can't remember the rule yeah, back but, then but it is what it is and we all kind of fit together and you know what I I don't like, I ended up scoring the first goal and that was the highlight of my whole career there. And, uh, I was the captain there and, and uh, with everything and it was just, it was a good experience for a while, but the novelty wore off quick. And when you're losing, you're losing by nine at times. It's really disheartening for everybody. And, and you can't even point fingers anymore because, we're not that good. We weren't that good. And uh, we couldn't compete with the division we were in.
5: How was the city? You ever Magic City on a Monday or what what was it like?
2: We found every part of that city. Did you
5: ever go <laughs> did you ever go
4: out in the clubs in Atlanta as a fellow baller and like run into Ludacris or run into like Atlanta Hawks who are like four Lamborghinis parked on the dance floor? Did you see the crazy ATL life?
2: We seen it. We seen it all there. Uh in that time the 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 baseball team they were Braves, yeah. Braves were the best team in the league back then. And so we were going to the world series and, and tailgating and, you know, besides hockey, was this
5: like Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, like that? all year? those
2: guys. Yeah. We played golf with those guys. We hung out oh, with those guys. Yeah. And then the football team. And actually the year that we were there, 2000, uh, the great are uh, not great cup, uh, super bowl was there and uh you know it, it's it's actually a party city it's, did you
4: see any like when you were in the clubs did you see rappers in there too like did you see pr- celebrities probably did i was you in the bu- name names, you're in the vip like i assume you're I there in, with germain dupree there, there's a
2: place called buckhead there and uh it is like it's like white on steroids and uh so it's a huge party area, so all the athletes and entertainers and everybody are there. And because there's,
4: like, the VIP scene of Atlanta. You just don't have an Edmonton where you're like, oh, you can only go to that bar if you're, like, signed to a team or some shit. Right? I like played ca- for
2: the Thrashers. We didn't get into I VIP. I was going to say, you're the captain of the Thrashers.
5: Yeah, that's, it's of like course you did. Being an old lineman, pretty much, in ATL, isn't it not? Like,
2: uh, we, we were We were bottom feeders back then. I'm sure you didn't get cheated.
4: Does it double blow your mind then to watch the Golden Knights come into the league as an expansion team? You're like, what in the flying fuck are these idiots doing? So I, I, you
2: know what? I think it's great for the game. Um, I didn't, no one expected it. There's no question. No one expected it, but it was amazing. You know what? Uh, Spud is a great coach. He is really a good coach. Um, he reminds me of Lowe. He brings everybody to the fight and everybody has to be accountable has to be in there, and they got some good assistant coaches. And you know what? They probably ended up getting the best goalie maybe in the league at that time with Fleury. Yeah. So he gave them a chance to win all the time, moved a couple pieces that they didn't think they would score. They were scoring them, what, 29 goals, 28 goals, uh, a couple of guys that were fourth-line players in other organizations. But they had a couple of surprises, but everything went well for them. And you know what? They ended up responding the next year. They had another good year.
4: They're a good team. It drives Jay nuts. He was like, "You'll see, this fucking Golden Knights are bullshit." Fake news. At every milestone of the season, we're like, "Well, now what?" He's like, "I don't know what to tell you." All the way to the cup, I don't know what to tell you. Did you watch them and go like, "Why wasn't my expansion team like that?"
2: But you know what? If you go to Vegas for a hockey game, it, it's an event. It really no. is. It's no, you've never. I think the closest you can find to it is if you go to a game in Montreal. Montreal is. It's not a game. It's an event for everybody, and it's a different. Feeling when you go to Montreal for a hockey game, then you would go to like let's just say San Jose or, or favorite right team. Yes, of yeah. but uh, I think when you go to Vegas, the atmosphere in the rink is further than anybody other rink in the league. Like it is that high, like yeah. it's amazing. And you know what? They get their players jacked up. Their fans are going hard, and it's just crazy the atmosphere there. Uh, I was coaching with uh, New York. Uh, a year ago, and and when we went there, we ended up winning, but it was hard. Like, they, they came hard at us, and the fans were unreal.
6: What do you think of the warm-up that they do behind the the opposing team's net around the glass and have those girls dancing in behind?
2: We were there for five days. I don't remember anything.
6: <laughs> <laughs> for those of yeah, you that, uh, in Vegas, the so on the opposing team's warm-up side, so behind their goalie. All they see is these beautiful women and like Amazonian women and like those like what are those like the t- can dresses? I don't know. And they're just dancing behind the opposing team for the entire warm up is like the biggest distraction you can ever see because it's mesmerizing.
2: Yeah, they 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 did a good job of promoting that team uh, with, and during the games and outside the arena, like the the tailgating and everything outside is unreal. Like it's a big party outside for everybody before the game and they come in, they're half cut and then they, they get into the game. And then after that, you know, they're on their own. They, they go from there. So
4: does any part of you look at Vegas, having a hockey team, though be like Las Vegas, super rich, young millionaires, markers at casinos, playing in the morning. This could, like, get dangerous. This could be a disaster. <laughs> like, I, I worry I, at all as a, as a staple of the
2: league. I think the pl- the players have changed a lot. Um, you know they still go out there's no question they still go out they don't go out like uh, it was back in the day there's no question they can't. they can't it's the travels hard people social media is killing all of them going out because oh, yeah. they're going to get caught all the time and I, I feel like the players are more disciplined now than they ever have been uh, but with Vegas, you know, you're still going to have guys that are going to have their warts. They're going to go out and gamb- their guys are gamblers, maybe drinkers. They're going to be out there and, and things are going to happen. And, and
4: Vegas is going to make it, they're designed for people like that to fuck their lives and up.
2: And you got, look at, look what's happening in Vegas with the football team coming in there. And then they're talking, maybe a, a baseball team coming in and it go on from there. But it, it's just, you know, I, I've been, been in Vegas a lot, but uh, being there when I have been there, it, it's been a great time.
3: Speaking of the craziness of your career, I need to ask about these 194 fights that you've had in the NHL. I am looking at this list of some of the people that you have squared up with. Where do you find the balls to go against a guy like Gino Ojek or Darian Hatcher or Joey Koser or Bob Probert? Are you shitting your pants when you're doing this or is this just part of the job and you're doing what you have to do to stay in the league and do what you have to do to contribute to your team?
2: I think at the start of my career, I had to do it just to stay in the league and prove myself. Because back then, you had five guys that did what I did in your organization. Now you don't; even, there isn't one, I don't think. And then it dwindled down from there. You'd have two or three guys, but in our... But I just didn't want to change the way I played um, for my 18 years. I, I wanted to play the same way, um, and uh, you know, and I ended up developing into a better player and you know getting some better quality ice time killing penalties and and had a couple good years but uh, it, it's one of those things that you just got to do what you're not comfortable and and hopefully it's an asset to the team
3: is there a guy that when you think back and you look back at all your scraps or maybe just kind of just kind of going back in your memory at all the all the memories is there a guy that you just think i can't believe i did that like there's that made zero sense
2: well, there's a lot of guys, there's no question. It was probably all of them, 190, whatever that was the number. I don't know what it was, but uh, one comes from the, like, you know, Probert was always one of those guys that you were never going to win. There's no question, but you're kind of there for the, you know, him to clean up. But uh, I fought uh, Link Gates one night oh. and, oh. and, uh, <laughs> uh, Link. and I, I think he had a really hard night the night before and uh, he ended up cutting me for 37 stitches one day in the head and face all over the place. He cracked my helmet in half. And uh, and back then, that's oh, when they were playing the Cow Palace. The old Winwell got cracked? Yeah. Those things and have been
4: destructive. I think that thing would take a bullet.
2: So they were playing in the Cow Palace. It was their first year, and it was an old rink. Such a weird
4: barn. The curtains everywhere yeah. and shit.
2: And the dress room, visitor dress room, was up about 200 stairs. It felt like 200 stairs. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> On purpose. And after getting beat up and pretty much knocked out, you had to climb these stairs to go to the dress room.
5: <laughs> oh, my God.
2: And it was, I think I might have stopped three times going up. and Sit the,
5: down, just think about things? or what? And
2: then... I was, this is a little bit with the story with Link Gates is that I'm like, so I'm getting stitched up. Slats is having a meeting with the team and he pulls me in while I'm getting stitched up. And he's giving the team shit, said, this is such an embarrassing, we lose to San Jose going on and on and on. And then he looks at me, he goes, and you. You ever embarrass the organization like that again? And he goes, Look at you. You're all bleeding all over the place. You're all stitched up. He goes, Here's 500. Go out and go get pissed.
4: The cow palace is fucked up. Like you walk around in it and it's like, there's signs are like, this is designed for agricultural fairs in San Jose. And we built an entire arena for it. Oh, and the sharks played her for a while. It's just like a little tiny footnote in between like a photo of Elvis having a concert. And then there's a photo of like a shark. And then there's that. It's yeah, insane.
6: Still on in the top. Like, like I love hockey fighting and this is why HockeyFights.com is part of the, the nation network. Uh, Cause still, I, 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 I love that. I love the old school way of hockey. Um, First of all, out of the team you fought against the most was the Calgary Flames. So as an Oilers fan, that is like, that means the world to me. But was there someone like, you know, you you play a lot of guys and you actually like, you know, you have a lot of respect for a lot of guys. But like, who did you like couldn't wait to play because you're going to fight because you want to fight this guy? Like, did you have that guy uh, in your career that you always like couldn't wait to like try to beat the snot out of him? I see you fought in a lot of recurring. There's a lot of recurring characters
2: in your on your fight tapes. But. Well, when you don't win too many, so you're not too eager to fight him again. But, <laughs> but I think with Calgary, I I always thought it was probably Rob Ramage that I fought a lot, and uh, it just seemed like we ended up being pretty good friends. Um, and I see him on the road once in a while, but uh, it was one of those. You know, he was a, a stay home defenseman, played hard every night, good leader, and we always found a way to. You know, getting a little bit of a tussle now and then. But uh, uh, it's one of those things like you you move on and you go to the next game and, you know, you have your three tough guys or four tough guys and they're looking down the list of the penalty minutes and they're like, okay, this guy, I'm going to go after this guy. And I I think of, uh, I was friends with Brad May after he played in Buffalo and he tells me the story that there was him, uh, Barnaby, and May, the three, uh, and Razor. Yeah. Right. And they would argue who they were going to fight that night. And that's not even right. Like, <laughs> you think of it. i had never looked at the pedaling minutes of who I was going to fight. These guys were arguing who they were going to fight with at that time. And it was, I thought it was just crazy that they talked about that.
3: Are you looking forward to a time when the Battle of Alberta kind of gets back, gets some of the teeth that it used to have? There was a period where it kind of, you know, tapered off a little bit. But are you looking? Do the Oilers and Flames need a playoff series against each other to get that back?
2: Well, I, I think it doesn't matter if it's going to be football or hockey. There's always going to be that rivalry with uh, Edmonton and Calgary. And you know, we have the best player in the world. Edmonton has the best player in the world. And mm-hmm. you know what? And Calgary has, you know, some good, good players. There's no question. Like you look at Monahan, Goudreau. Uh, They got the best defenseman in the league this year. And he had a bounce-back season. And going back to him, uh, Giordano, he was my favorite player when I was coaching. I I just thought he brought everything every night. And for an ex-Oiler to say it about a Calgary player, I just thought he battled hard, he worked hard, he led by example, and he was a really good leader. And, you know, he put that team together and, and everybody followed him. But I think that, you know, they... Well, there's. we'll find a way hopefully soon with Dave Tippett coaching them that they can make the playoffs, and, and that could be a huge rivalry again. And and I'm sure that the players really get up for the games. There's no question about it. But you're not going to see what you've seen back in the 80s and 90s. There's no question because the players now are more skilled. There isn't that more physical opponent um, that it was back then. And, uh, you know, you're going to see more of a fast game, you know, hard checking and, 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 you know, you're going to see a lot more goals.
3: You talked about coaching and Ron Lowe and what he meant to you. I'm curious about what the transition was like for you going from a player to now being a coach. Do you kind of look back at some of the coaches that you had and try to carry pieces forward with you? Or did you try to approach it with your own style?
2: No, you're exactly right. Um, I, I I was lucky. I was, um, it's it's hard to get back in the game um, after you're done playing. Everybody says when you're done playing, you know, I'm going to stay in the game. I'm going to, you know, whatever. it doesn't happen that easy. And so I was very fortunate when I retired. I got to coach right away with Jeff Ward. Uh, I was with the Roadrunners here in Edmonton when the lockout was. So that we had an um, uh, AHL team here. And he was great. He was a great, he was a teacher at one time, and then he ended up becoming, becoming a great coach, and now he's in Calgary. But he taught me, you think you're a your player, that you know everything about the game, but you don't, you, as a coach, you start, you have to learn everybody's job. You have to know everything about the penalty kill. You have to know everything about the power play system wise. And then you need to know your players as a player. You honestly just concentrate on your own play. There's no question about that. And you go on from there, but there's a huge thing in the coaching. When you become a coach, there's a huge learning curve. And I was lucky that I came in with Jeff Ward that taught me that. And, um, I look at the coaches now that I'm a head coach. I look at head coaches that I had in the past, and I take a little bit of what they taught me or some of them a lot and some maybe not so much but uh, I feel like uh, if you didn't have those experiences, you know you're not going to be able to do as good a job as you're going to do
5: so you've got all these different types of players on the team you've got obviously a guy that like how do you decide how you're going to deal with each one individually you know do you do you just kind of take each player individually and think about it? Or do you have a, you, know, you got the leader. He doesn't need to be told how to act. Or do you make a point of teaching him in front of everybody? So the other guys see it. Like, how do you decide how you do that?
2: You know what? Um, I'm just going to talk about my experience last year in tri cities. Yeah. I had a great, great leader, Nolan Remco, and he's a Northern Alberta boy. And I didn't to tell him anything. He just knew what we wanted and he did it. And, You know what? He had a great WHL career, and he's going to go to Calgary, go to university now. But he, to me, he's the ultimate leader. He was, you know, he would do whatever he took to win. It didn't matter. Like, but to him, he made my job a lot easier when you have people like that. But the same thing, you know, what we want all these kids to develop. There's so much more for them to develop coming in because you know what if you draft a kid he plays in the dub or he plays in the o then he goes to the american league there's still more development and you look at the oilers they got jones and bear and the guys that are down there well they're down there developing and they're going to play in the nhl one day we all hope because they're good prospects but it's all about development down there and uh jay woodcroft is doing a great job with these kids of developing these kids he's got dave manson down there with him and with a lot of experience uh, as a defenseman. So with these young kids, you know, they're given the tools and the keys to develop. And with junior hockey, you know, you're still, you're dealing sometimes with 15-year-olds or 16-year-olds. So on our team last year, we had four 16-year-olds. So, you know, they don't even how
4: do you manage a sixteen year old as you? Are you like, listen, motherfucker? I would do no. four hundred no, pull ups before you even got out of bed. Like, how do you,
2: you can't, deal with a
4: trillennial Almost, you,
2: you, there's no yelling anymore at players or or barking at them. You can't. And I, I've guys told me that before I went there that the players have changed a lot. And I just ended up being just myself. And and if I felt like I needed to talk to them. On the side, I'd bring them into the dressing room instead of embarrassing them in front of the guys. Because at sixteen, you're you're you can crumble. You can crumble, and you know the first person they're going to call is their mom, uh, or their dad, or their their agents. (laughs) Their agents, (laughs) you little
4: shit. And uh,
2: but we we're lucky that we had no problems with our guys, and it's due to our leadership, which we talked about it before. Is that we had good leadership, and they kept everybody intact, and we didn't have many issues last year.
4: So. I have two questions. Chalmers, do you mind? Do you mind if I ask Kelly Buckberger two questions? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. Kelly, do you mind? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I you have you a mind. feeling Chalmers
5: has the answer to the question. <laughs> well, that's why I asked the boss of uh, the You know what? Let me take it from here.
4: What, what do you need to know? <laughs> there are certain players who play for the Oilers.
5: Oh, good. Good then start. There
4: are other players who are the Oilers. When I look at, like, having been an Oilers fan for a long time, I look at players that come through the years and, like, when you got dealt, I was supremely pissed because I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Kelly Buckberger is the Oilers. When you came back for the the, the strike-shortened year, the, the year we lost to the strike, I was like, thank fuck this guy has come home. What does it mean to be an Oilers to you? Because we had a, one of the things that drives Oilers fans nuts right now, and maybe not so much in the last year, but, like, the culture of the team I don't think that, like, you hear stories about back in the day, like, if you stepped on the Oilers logo on the dressing room floor, you'd have the shit kicked out of you, and now it's, like, stuck to the roof, so no one steps on the logo anymore. But, like, what does it mean to be an Oiler to you?
2: I think it means everything to me. Um, I I didn't know anything different than an an Oiler, and uh, because I came in and I I played here for, I think it was an organization for 13 years, and the Oilers meant everything to me, and uh, being part of it and the success we had and the friendships you make throughout your career – um, I still talk to one or two players that I played with back in, in the 80s, still almost once a day. I talk to Mark Lamb every day. I talk to Mac T probably every second day. And uh, so you, you have these relationships with players and you never forget it. And, um, <clears throat> and Mark had a, a short career with the Oilers, but he still considers himself an Oiler. And he, he moved on to different organizations, but he still, Oilers is his team. And with me, uh, I think we're, all very loyal to the others. I think that, you know, I'd love to come back and coach the others at one time, but you know, I had my chance here with, uh, I think I went through five coaches. I I think maybe more. I have no idea. You were
5: the only one that stuck uh, around for a bit. Don't worry. We'll get
2: stable and you can come back.
6: We're, we're working on that.
2: And, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, my goal is always to come back here. I, I live here. Um, and, uh, I would love to coach the Oilers at one day, but I'm I'm not ready for it yet. I'm I'm, you know go spend my time and coach the kids and and move to different directions. But you know my goal probably is there's no question is that I'd like to coach the Oilers one day.
4: If you're sitting down with a kid, let's say theoretical situation, and you're like you just got drafted by the Oilers, you've arrived from. Northern Europe, you're from Russia, you're Yakupov, you're from the middle of fucking nowhere. You may not even have heard about the Oilers except for the 80s Oilers. Like, how would you explain to them, like, this is what it means to come to Edmonton where you're not on page five of the sports page, you're on page one. People are going to lip you off in a 7-Eleven for not shooting more of the power play. Like, how would you explain to somebody and like impart that this is what it means to be an oiler?
2: Well, I ran the player development for the Oilers for a few years and I, I dealt with a lot of the kids and uh, I, I... You know, we can never forget about the past because it, it built Edmonton what, what it is. And uh, and with the great players that we had throughout those years is is unreal and, and unheard of that you're ever going to probably see that again. But, you know, it's a new culture with the team. Um, you know, having Connor where he is in his career, uh, we need to move on with this team and try and build this team. and And you're right you can't go to 7-Eleven without buying a Slurpee without someone taking a picture with you because they love their Oilers here. People love their Oilers. What you
4: do matters when you're in Evans. Exactly.
2: Dealer. And you you know what? Listen, y- if you're a bad person and you play for the Oilers, you're probably not going to play for them very long because this is a small community. Everybody knows who you are. So if you're not giving to the community and, and you're not treating people with a lot of respect in the community, you're probably not going to last and you're, it's going to get out there that, uh, you know, you don't belong in this area. And I, I always tell, tell the players that, listen, I want you to treat everybody how you want to be treated. That's all I want you to do. So that, that means your fellow teammates, your coaches and the community. And they look at me when I said community. I said, yeah, because this is a small community. They, they live and breathe. Blue and orange. They the, they do. 100% they do. And we, to me, you know, we probably have the best fans in the league, and I've said this before earlier, and we do because they're loyal and they know who the players are. They know them. And you can go, like, I played in L.A. for a while, and – I lived in Manhattan Beach, and I walked down the street Strand. No one knew who I was, which was great. But you some ca-
4: guys love that, though, right? Yep, They're like this is yep. amazing. I like the anonymity and the massive. I mean, you miss it
5: once in a while, I'm sure.
2: But you come to Edmonton, and you you can't like. I like to go to uh, a couple dive bars, and, and you know, go in there and hang Gas out. Gas pump. Eh.
5: No,
2: <laughs> I won't. shut
4: down, Charles. What are you fucking know about? I, I won't mention. Don't make the- Kelly Barber tell his secret hideout.
1: Shit.
2: Oh, this shout out to Franco's Pizza. Franco's. <laughs> <laughs> Great oh. pizza, by the way. Oh yeah, not bad. No. We were just there the other Great day. Great pizza. VLTs <laughs> are loose too. I I love people watching there at Franco's. Do people oh, still that's... come up to
4: you, like people come to you everywhere still. Yeah, and talk to you. Hi, Kelly yeah, Burger. How yeah. are you doing? Right. I
2: sit in the dive bar there and have a pizza or a sure. you know a lasagna on Thursdays, nine bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a deal.
4: <laughs> my my other question. I'm like working myself up to this challenge because if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. We can make this all go away. But. I think you're uniquely qualified to like be asked this question. Like what has happened? Why have we gone so long since, since the cup run of Oh six, when you were at the organization that year, like if you were to put a pin to like what happened to the program to derail it, what do you think went wrong?
2: You know what? I I don't know. I get asked that question a lot and uh, you move so many coaches through because you you think that you have the right recipe for success. Every team does when you start the season with, And uh, uh, you you draft players that you think that are going to change the organization and some don't turn out the way you want to be. And if you miss on a first rounder or a couple of first rounders, it's really going to hurt the organization. There's no question about that. And, you know, you get the best player in the world and you think things are going to change. And, he does change the game for the others, There's no question. And dry saddle is a huge compliment, but you know, you need more pieces to change things. And, and, um, you know, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I, I feel like every time, uh, the season starts, we, the others, I, I will say we, but they have a chance to win. They really do. And, you know, uh, I'm in season I've been on his organization for two years now, but I, I watch the highlights every day of the others. And I'm, I, really hoping wishing that you know we have successful year this year coming up and uh, we find a way to turn the page
4: so you you can't point like and maybe we can't tell us because chalmers is here and he'll like repeat it all the time but like when you look at that stretch of time the 13 years like do you do you see things looking back you're like okay knowing what i know now if we turned left instead of right is it a series of a collection of bad players. Like I think one of the things that we're always trying to scratch our heads about is just like, how do you have that many coaches? How do you have that many different players and not be able to put together a golden Knights Island of misfit toys and make it to the second round?
2: I I don't have an answer for you because it it seemed like the years that I was coaching here, uh, assistant coach here, uh, we had every first rounder all the time and first pick and uh, with Taylor and uh, Yakapaw, Yak, Yak went yeah, what number one? Yeah, the yeah. Nuge. Yeah. Nuge, and you know what? You think you get, you're getting the best player at all the time, and uh, you think that there's that one player is going to turn you around, but it doesn't. It takes a while, and they have to gel together, and they have to build a culture to like a winning culture, and and it has to be. You have to have maybe maybe at that time they didn't have good senior leaders at that time, and maybe they could have had a couple older guys that had won before to come in and maybe give them, you know, what it took back then. Um, you can have coaches that have won, but you, it's not the same when you're in the dress room and you're part of the team. Um, as assistant coach, you're, you're, you're supportive of the coach. That's it. Yep. So you don't really get involved with the players a lot. You can be the player's best fr- friend, but ultimately you're the head coach. You know, you're the, doing the job for him. So I, I felt back in those days, I thought if they would have brought in, Maybe a more experienced guy that played in NHL or played in NHL that had won, it maybe made a difference. You know, they brought in Andrew Ference later on, but it was probably too late at that time.
4: Do you sit there as Kelly Buckberger watching young kids now and be like, "God damn little bastards!" If I was eighteen years old, I'd be out there doing X. Like, it must be hard because you're such a heart and soul player to coach kids and be like, "Why don't you block a shot with your face, you little fuck face.
2: Well, the, listen, the, the, every every player has their own character. Yep. And I feel like you have to have different characters throughout your whole team for you to win. And everybody has a role. And I really feel, I tell my team this all the time in Tri-Cities that everybody's a leader. There's no question. You wouldn't got this far into the WHL if you weren't a leader in some sort, like you might've been a leader in your minor hockey team, your midget team, whatever, but you found a way to make the WHL. So you got leadership qualities. So I always felt that, for us to win in Tri-Cities, everybody had to lead by example. Um, we didn't have anybody that used to shoot their mouth off because we, right from the start, we said that we never quit. That was our motto. We will never quit. And so with uh, Brian Peller and myself, which is my assistant coach, we built a culture with the leaders there, and everybody bought in. And uh, that's how I feel like with a winning team uh, and uh, an yeah. NHL team, if everybody buys into what the coach is selling and the organization is selling, you have a chance to win. So what does it
4: look like? Sorry to interrupt, Bagmel. I just wanted to finish this off. Like, if you're sitting in the Thrasher's dressing room and you're like, oh boy, we got some hardware problems here. We don't necessarily have all the equipment that we need to participate. Do you actually see people tune coaches out and just be like, yeah, that's not really going to be happening for me? Like, what does it look like between a room that has bought in and hasn't bought in?
2: Well, it's it's hard to put Atlanta in that area because... Listen, we, there was a lot of guys that came from the AHL that played. Half our team were AHL players, and half of them were fourth-line players in the NHL because back then you weren't giving up your top six forward yeah. to come and play. And so we had a lot of misfits. Uh, we didn't. I, I can't remember how many goalies we went through. It, it was crazy. I think we went through 12 goalies or something like that throughout the season. So putting Atlanta, <laughs> put Atlanta in that area is not great. Fair it's enough. Not fair, fair enough. Uh, and you know what? Uh, shout out to our coaches there, like Kurt Fraser. We had, uh, he, you know, he had success in the IHL with uh, Orlando. Yeah. They won the championship. And then he come and coach Allen, and it was hard for him. It really was. Or not down, there, um, the Thrashers. And it was really hard for him. I just remember him punching brick walls. And I'm like, that man is the toughest man I've ever met. Like, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I I can't put them in that category. But a
4: room though, that, like a room that buys in and a room that doesn't buy in, maybe more skilled. And like, Atlanta wasn't the right example. Like, just is it a lot of little things that you're sitting there in the room? You're like, oh shit, people haven't bought in. Is it people like the the senators on the road at the dumb Uber guy lipping the coaches off? Like, what do you like? What are all the little differences that you can see between a room that's bought in and doesn't?
2: Yeah, you, you don't want that. No, there's no question what you just mentioned, but I don't even want to talk about them but i always felt with the oilers you know the leadership comes from right from the top and in our day with peter you know i love peter i i, I still talk to him when i go to uh palm springs and go golfing uh, You go
4: golfing with peter Falklinton when you go to palm springs well not
2: anymore because he can't see he, <laughs> oh really yeah he's he can't see very well but oh. I, I spend time i'll go for a couple of drinks with him and uh but for us back then he was great i know he, the community, it's not their favorite person. He got
4: his, remember he came back, he got his cheer. Yeah. Right? New Oilers but, fans, I think, have made peace with Peter Pocklington.
2: If you know Peter, he can be a good friend. If
4: but- I walked into a bar in Palm Springs and saw you and Peter Pocklington sitting there shooting the shit, I'd be like, I need to come to Palm Springs more. There's a lot of Oilers stuff going on down here. This is <laughs> something else.
3: Coming back to yourself, you mentioned that a goal of yours is to come and coach the Edmonton Oilers. And I'm curious, you said you, you still have some stuff to learn. So my question is, as a guy who played 1182 NHL games, you've been in coaching and player development for the last 15 years. What do you think you still have to work on as a coach before you can make the next step?
2: I, I think it's everything. Uh, I, you can go from, um, the way you deal with players, uh, to get the best out of your players um, system work to um, changing um, in mid stride of the game. Uh, you know, uh, there's so much more like y- you think that you have it all. And, you know, there's some days when you're winning, you-, you feel like the best coach in the league. And then if you lose three in a row, like, God, I-, I-, I fucking can't win. I don't know. Fucking, I'm a bad coach, but so it can be confidence too. It really is. And I feel like, you know, I have a chance at one time to to coach in the NHL as a head coach, but I, I'm no rush right now. Uh, I feel young. I'm only 52. I know there's been a lot of coaches younger, but uh, I feel I'm young. I I feel like I can adapt to the players, and I just got to make sure that my whole all around game as a coach has to be there before I get the chance because I don't want to be a one and done. I want to have success when I get there.
4: Was it weird coaching with Dougie Waite last year? Were you like, God damn, Doug Waite's a head coach of the NHL? I love
2: him. I love him. I lived with him.
4: Yeah. It must been yeah. weird to like yeah. come back years later after we've been yeah, playing together and be like, be guess coaching. what, yeah. Doug? We're in charge. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Unfortunate things didn't work out there in Long Island. Yeah. Uh, Dougie is just an unreal person. Uh, Dougie lived with us at, at our house for a couple of years. It was funny, that quick story about Dougie is that Dougie got traded to the Oilers for Essateakin and he got traded in the afternoon in New York during the game day. And so they just changed shopping carts and, and Dougie didn't know anybody of so later on Dougie goes, uh, can I you know, I said, Dougie, you come and live with us at our house in uh in Edmonton and uh and we had two young kids back then and uh so Dougie stayed with us and then after the season, uh come back for training camp, Dougie goes, Hey Bucky, mind if I shack in for a while while well, uh um, you know, get ready for the season and, and I'll find a place. I said, Yeah, no problem. So Two years later, Dougie moved out.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> you bastard, you're making millions of dollars living in my house. Yeah. And so then you go back and you meet up again in Long Island. It was just like, hey, we're getting the band back together. Here we go. It must have been a good time.
2: It was. You know what? We thought we had uh, the right pieces. There's no question. Um, we didn't. We got off to a good start. We really did. And then we, you know, we crumbled. We, we really did. And, uh, you know, it, it's all blame to the. To the coaches, we feel like we we thought we were doing the right thing. Um, at times, we were pressured to do other things that we didn't want to do that we had to do, and we should have stuck to our guns.
4: Chalmers, you just came back in the room from a quick mid-interview pee, which I respect. We've been going marathon segments. Bro. Oh, this, is, down. Good. I this is good. Her, I, 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 shit I've got to gotta,
6: ask a question. Do you and watch this big is, brother? Nope. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's, that's another. And this is just more so like because like, People on the outside of the game, like fans, just love to hear the stories. Is there any, like, funny prank stories or any kind of stories that, like that might be so crazy that not naming names that maybe you can share with us? Maybe just one, maybe, perhaps?
2: I'll tell you a Dougie Waite story yeah. since, yes. since we just talked about Dougie. So Dougie was living with us, and uh, I had a truck. And uh, so, so Dougie's out, and I had a... Uh, the wife and two kids and and dougie's going out all the time and uh not that i didn't join him but uh the one night he goes bucky i'm heading out i said well yeah go ahead take my truck i don't care so i go go downstairs i go to wake dougie up to go to practice because he's not up yet and i'm like okay dougie's not home oh truck's not home so i may probably hung out with freddie brathaway and the boys and arnie and fell asleep so i get to the rink and and uh I look at Dougie's not there yet. Finally, he comes in and he's like Kramer walking through the dressing room. He's all over <laughs> the place. And, and he looks at me and he goes, Bucky, someone stole your truck. <laughs> I go, What? He goes, Someone stole your truck. I couldn't find it. He goes, I come out of uh, uh, Malibu. What's it called? Malibu? What the was org? it? Oh, Club Malibu? Club Malibu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, come, he said, I come out of Club Malibu, uh, going to jump in your truck and it's gone. I said, Really? I go, Reloaded, he goes, oh, hammer, just smash. I go, well, you can't be driving. He goes, yeah, but I, I didn't drive it. I was stolen. It's gone. So after practice, I phoned my sister. She's a cop in the city. I said, told her what happened. She goes, well, just come and report it and we'll, you know, get the paperwork going. So we're driving home and Dougie's hung right over. And he goes, Bucky, maybe we should drive by Southside Malibu and, and <laughs> just take another look. I said, okay, yeah, no problem. Cause we we're just coming up to River Valley. And we come around the corner of Southside Malibu. My truck is pretty much parked on the stairs. Oh my God. <laughs> and I go, Dougie, that's my truck right there. He goes, Buck, I didn't see that truck there. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Club Malibu, the morgue was so good back in those days.
6: Well, well that was the downtown. There's like nine Club Malibu. Which one was Malibu's the south side no, A- University. University, University, University
2: Malibu. Yeah, that you were probably too Malibu. young. Yeah,
6: yeah. Where, where the pizza place is right outside uh, the steel, steel Wheels. wheels. Are
5: yeah, I'm too young. I'm You're skiing. too it's young. The Armory, Chalmers became the Armory. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There we go. He's got yeah. to
4: tell Chalmers at bar from ten years later. He knows exactly. what
5: it is. I think we got to wrap this up. Yeah, because Remtrack's been
4: twirling his finger in the air, but Buck Burger overrules Remtrack anywhere I live. But to close. I think, like, it's a fun show, right? Oilers Nation's fun because it's just, like, normal guys who made a website, and we don't think that we're cool or anything like that, but, like, we kind of think of ourselves like talking on behalf of fans, right? So I think it'd be, like, remiss. Like, thank you for everything that you did as an oiler, right? Like, you gave us some of the best memories of our modern lives, and, like, as a guy who had 26 to 37 ripped away from his drinking years, you gave me my, like, 17 <laughs> to 25 memories. I'm still running on the goal you scored No Team, man. And there's lots of games for the oil where I'm like, I wonder if a lot of these kids even understand the program of what it means to be an Euler. And I wonder if some of these coaches and some of these executives, but like you having been an Euler for as long as you have really has given a lot of Euler fans hope that like Buckberger, who was, who was so good as a player being here as an assistant coach. And then I assume you will come back one day in a management coaching capacity. Like, thank you all your block shots, all your cuts and all your scrapes and all your bruises. Like they were well appreciated. And what you did really meant a lot to Edmontonians.
2: Uh, and just with that thing, and thank you for all that, those kind of things. But, uh, I really believe that the Oilers changed my life um, to make me a better person. Um, I was going down probably the wrong path when I was younger and I, coming here and made me a way better person. And uh, I'm I'm so glad to be part of the community here because I know what it means to be a fan. And I'm a fan right now of the Oilers. And, and again, you know, you hear players say it's a privilege and, You hear the right players saying it, and it's always been a privilege of mine to play for the others and be part of the community.
0: That's a hell of a spot to end it. Thank you for your time today, Kelly, and uh, good luck in Tri-City this season. Thank you so much. All Ah! right, that's going to do it. Episode 145, Nation Real Life is over. All right, there you go, Kelly Buckberger, boys. That was uh, was something else.
4: That is as good as it gets for me. That is fucking excitement in a podcast.
3: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I feel like we could have gone on for, like, eight hours
4: i think he wanted to like i
6: just think like I we think didn't he,
4: shoo kelly buckburger out into the street did we
3: schedule is just like no
6: no no he actually like eventually looked just like oh shit i should probably make it out of here boys yeah. so
3: if people have places to go but kelly that buckburger does but yeah, that just flow like we do.
6: were just literally just you know some dudes sitting around a hardwood table with hockey sticks made by our boys made by our buddies Maybe having a, a conversation about hockey some of us were nervous so we had a beer I had four beers.
5: You had a beer literally before it even started. Like, I had four beers this podcast. Yeah, I know. But what I noticed was we all had a full one, and like he walked in, and you cheersed him with your empty glass. I know. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, man. I'm nervous, you're man. Have to I'm pace nervous yourself. to
4: talk to these guys. Like, I know you're not nervous. Nobody here is nervous. Your m truck is now the face of TSN. He National wants to League.
5: talk to me more than I want to talk to him. I'll tell you what, right now. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Jay. Email time, eh, Buck? Yeah, no shit, eh? We have literally 10 I, more interesting, minutes. interesting because Jay always is like on his
4: phone and on his computer <laughs> during the podcast. You guys don't interest me. Kelly Buckburger Interesting, Kelly Buckburger was talking
5: to you. You know what? And you you don't were interest on us. your Take phone texting. I was actually. I was
4: mind blown you, by this. You
5: actually turned over my phone at one point because it was buzzing and you and he, could see Kelly that Kelly Buckburger kept looking, looking, at, kept looking at, it. at it. I know. So I was. So but you were texting. I was having a side conversation about
6: questions I should ask Bucky. So I was going back and forth with that person. So. You know what?
5: And one time that I did grab my phone and you looked at me and rolled your eyes, I was going to search something that I thought was pertinent Buddy, to that moment. I just Kyler don't like Murphy. Uh,
6: Kyler, Kyler Murray updates.
5: Yeah, that- I, I want to talk to him about Cardinals football. You it was supposed funny. To like invite him the- to
6: our fantasy football league. You had one job. I looked at your it M chat and funny, I pointed
5: to the thing and I said, "Fantasy football. I'm going to invite him." And he said, "Do you have you have one more thing?" And I said, "Yeah." And he looked at me like. I'm not it was sure hilarious because like I'm not sure about that and I went oh fuck okay. Chalmers and I were writing notes I'm during the show back. and yeah,
4: Chalmers yeah. ended with but I, I, I got a piss so bad he wrote down in our notes I was sitting next to
3: the... I was sitting next to Chalmers too like so I was watching him cross his notes off like this we covered this we covered this we covered and then he's like to Tyler's like uh, fantasy football and Tyler's like oh, for fuck's sakes because he was ready to wrap it up an hour ago.
0: You could have asked him. I wouldn't have. Whatever. Man. I
4: like that we're sitting around talking to Kelly Buckberger and your Jack's like I got shit to do man. We yeah. gotta wrap this shit
1: up. <laughs> 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 yeah he, he, he was trying to play yeah. us out. He's like, like
4: get his finger out like in the helicopter minutes. I'm like I don't know what to tell you man. Kelly so, Buckberger won two cups. Like, bag milk, whatever you, gonna you, you do gotta that, do you gotta
3: push that shit back. Yeah you gonna do that Indochino ad now or what? We're we gonna go like How's <laughs> go, man let's go.
6: Oh and yeah you and Chalmers uh, who happened? Who about the ice palace Yo, really, he
3: led me in he it led you perfect. in and
6: also shit on it at the
0: same time I was I'm ready. here for two things to keep this podcast on time and to make sure the fucking ad reads get done
3: <laughs> you perfect. do a
0: good job buddy at it
5: <laughs> and uh, yes hey listen I know you got to get to Indochino ads. I understand that, but we had already thrown the fucking time but, out. You of, know, we of the had to window. talk to
6: Kelly Buckberger about
5: your hawk camp for thirty minutes. You goddamn right, we did. That's important
1: <laughs> shit.
4: Who <laughs> looks Kelly Buckberger in his Stanley Cup winning eyes and goes, "Do you remember when MACT leveled me when we were playing scrimmage?" For <laughs> what? Andy Penny then calls Andy Penny fat. I
5: didn't say did. that. You know, I did <laughs> he, he,
2: like, he, he, he was
5: much bigger than me. He could take care of himself. You yeah. heard me wrong. Now, uh. now it's yeah,
6: it's it's but yeah. Mm. Now,
5: now now that you describe it and like listen. that, yeah, but you said it
6: different.
3: Yeah, but you said, said, it said, it said it different. But you said it but different. said it Okay,
5: so listen, <laughs> that was a lot of fun, and I uh, listen. There's one thing that I know about our social media listeners, that is. They care about us. They care about me. Specifically, yeah, of you. course. You Absolutely. Know, an hour with Kelly Bookberg is great. Your red Chuck's get, face right they, now was amazing. They want we five got to start videoing this podcast because, <laughs> yeah, like the, <laughs> they want. They oh, want this five. is how they do to TSN. They want to know the inner workings of your <laughs> our, life of and mine. Yes. You know what?
6: I actually did want to ask Bucky to interview you a little bit because you were stealing. the I show thought there. that would have been great, but then you're Chuck looked it. at
5: me with this face, like, "Don't do it."
3: Maybe Schmieres, like a maybe like kill. a callback, be asking Bucky about when you played in the same tournament as Ladislav Schmid, that when he came over from Czech Republic a little while ago. That's that right. It's still my all, it all. There's together. a few childhood uh-huh.
4: highlights for me, but you be like, you ever <laughs> played in that tournament, Smeed over the Czech Republic was only for pretty big deals. Oh, you never played there. Yeah, whatever.
5: Cool. <laughs> Remember your home country when I came over there to play in a tournament and dominated. P.S. Uh, it was good. My I first feel trip, though, like Bucky is one of the best guys in the world.
4: Yeah. And I liked my own comment, shout out to me, about there's some people who play for the Oilers, and there's some people who are the Oilers. Yeah. And I feel like Bucky was saving a lot of his gold because we're not entitled to hear. like, please explain the culture of the Oilers. Yeah. But, like, a 52-year-old motherfucker who's still that fighting fit has so much drive in him. Oh, man,
3: talk about what kind of shape that dude was in. I feel good, he says. I was sucking in the whole time.
5: Yeah, I feel good. I, I went outside to go get him, and I... And oh, missed you missed him. Yeah, I missed you him. Once again, you had him. one job, buddy. There's two entrances, I guess. He must have come in the He's back. He's in line up trying to buy a lot. No, he came by the. He came like. in the back alley on the dumpsters. That's where GPS leads you sometimes. <laughs> but he actually might have even taken a bike trail and ridden his bike here. I don't know that for sure. We don't yeah, know. He probably that. ran here. He probably did on his hands. He runs he, triathlons. He does. And so every every often I'm driving down my parents' street, and I see him running, and I'm just he gives me a, like I'm just fucking mad at guys like that. They just. Run! They're such in good shape. You can't. It's
6: more. For me, it's if more envy. Like I wish I had. Like I said, I'm like, how do you have Envious. this motor? Like break. he has a fucking motor. Nah, his dad's a coal miner,
4: theory. man. Yeah. How about Carla Buckburger being from
6: his hometown? No kidding. That was cool. That was really cool. Yeah, like hometown sweethearts. Yeah.
3: I thought it was incredible that after the career he had, over 1,100 games, still fucking humble, man. Oh God. super! Humble. like it was a
6: privilege. Oh, my. I, that's the thing, I had goosebumps the whole time because he, he was saying all the right things, but this guy actually was meaning what he was saying.
5: Right, and the fact that he said that it was all because of the Oilers, when he said that I was yeah. on a wrong path, I cannot even picture that man on a wrong path. No. Like, and then he's like, not being such a great guy, I don't vision for him. And to say that that happened because of the Oilers, that was like... Holy shit, like you went, you came into like an organization that had everything at that time. It could have molded anybody into being like a leader. It made no disrespect to Kelly Buckburger, but it made a ninth round draft pick
4: into Kelly Buckburger because he got sucked into the pipeline of here's how we're going to be a leader, here's how we're going to run a team, here's how we're going to run. That was
5: so cool, man, when he said that. I was just like, I didn't have the mic at that point because we only have three of them. There's only 12 people trying to talk to Kelly Buckberger <laughs>
4: simultaneously. He's going to fucking injure his neck looking at everybody talking to him. Huh, what? Huh, who? Hey, whoa,
3: who? I love the definitive goal that he had where he's like, I want to come back and I want to coach the Edmonton Oilers. I believe him. But I'm not ready. So then I get to ask him, what do you mean you're not ready? You've done X, Y, Z. By the way. And he's like, I still got stuff to do. I'm not there yet. And you would think that a guy with that kind of experience, that kind of at-bats, that kind of just life under his belt in general wouldn't feel that way. But again, humble, hungry, incredible. Cool guy. Awesome. Such a cool guy, man. This is,
4: it is a very interesting thing that like your M check, you're entitled to talk to Kelly Buckberger because you're a pro. The rest of us are not. And to sit around with the boys and shoot the shit with a guy like that, like this is some good fucking fun. It's uh, it's,
6: it's days like today that just kind of like, it's like the surreal moments of like what the nation is like, yeah, you man. know, like it's just like. How the look, hell are we entitled to, talk exactly. to Kelly I'm just like, I Kelly it's How so, the hell did like, that just You say that happened? you
5: were nervous. Like t- I was nervous. So nervous. Yeah, 100 yeah, 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 like, I, I was like,
6: sweating for the first little bit. I was sweating like, oh, shit. Like, I was thinking I about him, every word that came out of my mouth.
5: I, I shouldn't have been nervous, but I still was. I just wanted to like be as good at, at something as he is at like most things. You know what I mean? He's an inspirational dude. Yeah, man. Yeah. He's good. You can see like, it, it's interesting
4: hearing him talk like about how cheaters, they can immediately identify a player who's a cheater. No, he's not going
5: to make it. Oh, I was like, oh, fuck. In a <laughs> He's league. looking right through us <laughs> right now. <laughs> He's like a joke. Cheaters never win, Cheaters son. never win. I'm like, oh, like am I taking this?
4: You're in a league where like players can't fake their way into the NHL and stay there. And as fans, we're like, that guy got oh. coached shitty. Yessi pooley oh. wants to leave on Jillian his own. Julian there
6: with a siberian coke on, yeah. uh, on Mike.
4: But when you <laughs> think Negative. about a guy like Puliyarvi? and you think about if you cut corners, you're never going to stay in this league. Or you think about a guy like Yakupov, or you think about a variety of people who've come and gone through a Kelly Buckberger's career, he could probably size a guy up within like two
3: or three practices. Well, he talked about it. He talked about it, it doesn't matter where you get drafted. It's what happens after that. It's I just wanted, a number. I yeah. wanted
5: so bad to ask him about what he thought about Yessie, but I knew just like there was a part of me that wouldn't think he would answer it because he is still a coach and like it's an active player and it's an active weather situation. He says we when he talks about the oh, yeah. Uh, there was just a part of me that knew that it wouldn't happen, but I just wanted to say to him like,
2: what do you find?
5: Like what, what do you the, make of this? You like how I had the balls to ask him what went wrong? Yeah, well, that's I did. a growing up moment for your old pal, Juan. You know? I know. That was a good question. And I just, you know, he's just a pro at kind of telling us that he didn't know. But I think he kind of knows. But I don't know if he knows, you know. I wonder. I what think the, he knows. I wonder what the answer is, right? What went wrong? I don't
4: think it's as simple as like, oh, Taylor Hall was a jerk. Well, he, well he was, I'll tell well, you what, what he was it talking is. on the...
6: It's It's... He described what room he came into in 87. That's not the room we have right now. No, is but also... No,
3: no, no, no. 87 he's, Oilers dressing What
6: he's
5: room. talking about is the coaching staff that he was on, and we're all questioning that time when there was no leadership, right? And I was glad that he said something like, I can't be in the room with these guys all the time. I'm not going to be that coach that's like a hanger-on to the players, like trying to relive his past. They needed to have a player in the dressing room that was a leader. And it was... The stepdad mentality, like you can't be a stepdad to these. You got to have, you got to have a brother. You got to have somebody next to you who's going to do it. And so like in a slight way, he was like, we didn't have any leadership on the team and the coaching staff. We just couldn't do it because you don't want to be that type of coach.
6: It, uh, and we, we've been, we've been saying this now for what, when did the Oilers make the playoffs? 2017, basically every day since then. Letting go of Matt Hendricks was one of the dumbest things we could do, and how about have that? have him go out of like was just like out of nowhere, unprompted. bring that up unprompted, showing how important guys like that are, and that's what helps with culture because that's what sets the pace in practice, yeah, and that's what gets you people knew how big hard. of a deal that was when you get oh.
4: when I think as an organization when you get arrogant, and I think arrogance is one of many teams' problems, or there's a clear? And you're like, oh fuck, we don't need no Matt Hendrixes. You know how many Connor McDavids we have? And you start taking players and putting them out to pasture because you undervalue them. That's one thing I wanted to ask. Like, there's a lot of shit I wanted to ask Kelly Buckberger off the record, and assuming he took a pill where he had to tell the truth. But like, do the Oilers chronically undervalue good role players in the room? I think about Derek Roy. I think about him being nice to Yale Yakupov. Yeah. I think about how we squandered the first pick overall because we put no infrastructure. Around. Now, yes, Nail Yakupov is slightly crazy, and also, yes, he is too, but like... Do we have the
5: organization capable of taking players just, in like Derek like Roy and pairing them up? I feel like you're asking a question that would take a whole, like a whole, you know, in a deep. I know what but, you're saying. I know it's hard, and I don't. If I, you climbed into I Kelly am,
4: Buckberger's brain and said, "Do the Oilers throw role players out on the ash heap of history too regularly?" and That's what's oh, actually. Oh, he'd say yes, hundred percent.
5: You could, yeah, you could tell in his in his in his answers. It was fun, though.
3: Most importantly, I think that people want to know that Kelly Buckberger did have. An excellent tan. In case you were wondering,
5: because he runs fifteen k a morning,
3: hell of a the bronze on the sun, guy. Yeah. yeah, great, great bronze. But no,
6: just no shirt too. But just a good Sasuke boy. Because did you catch it? He threw in the ice scenes.
5: Oh, there was ice scenes.
6: Laughed and right. Was, I'm like, that was That's a Sasuke yeah, boy. Yeah, he was. Yes, I loved that it. He was. Say an
5: ice scene. I don't know what an I, I seen, seen that.
6: There. Oh, I seen that. Oh, I seen that yesterday. I seen that the other day. I was driving and I seen that. That's yeah, a that's a Saski
0: thing. That's a that's a thing, thing. I, I
6: should have asked him what he
5: calls a hoodie because
6: he would have said bunny, bunny hug, yeah, hug yeah, bunny almost hug. guaranteed.
4: He was impressed with the sign. Oh yeah, If it. you told me when I stole that sign that one day we'd be sitting four feet from Kelly Buckberger and I would point at it and he would go, uh-huh, that is the sign you stole from the crush cannon moose jaw. Uh-huh. I would not believe Even
3: you. looking up at Smitty's moose jaw jersey up here on the wall. You, I saw mine in it.
4: I love the story about Ron Lowe sitting Smitty in the playoffs. I forgot about that. Yeah, huh? That's Ooh.
3: balls, man.
4: That is balls.
5: At his balls. Maybe we need to 40. get up. Was he sixteen in uh, Moose Jaw? Nope. What was
3: 18,
6: he? Wasn't he seven? He played two years, so I think he was 17 oh, no, was 18. was twenty-eight. Who, Smitty or Bucky? No, Bucky. Bucky, oh, Bucky was. I think. He, I think he was. 16. I think we need one of those 16? now. His jersey is, and we didn't get into it. Like his jersey is retired King, in Moose Jaw. King, Flurry, okay. right? So also
4: Tim Keenan Flurry that are retired.
6: Uh, I don't know if Flurry's is yet. Because there's like that weird, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh,
5: we we should get one of those Bucky Warriors jerseys. Because this Warrior Smith jersey is awesome. But yeah, we'll get a Warrior. You Bucky. got some sticks right here. Yeah, we Talk got. About so them. hey, we got an autographed Bucky stick to give away. And not only an, okay, so It's going to be a contest. Bought, yeah, Wanye bought us one stick yes. to keep, yes. and it. If you saw the preview of the podcast on any of the social media platforms that the US Nation Nation Radio or Wanye Gretz has. It is the stick, literally, that he used when he signed the stick. He grabbed it, looked down at it, and said, "Oh my god, that's my curve." <laughs> was I'm that like, accidental? That's your
0: stick. I was like, yeah, it guess was what, 100% what, Kelly Buckberger.
5: They're for accidental. sale if I can sport check, and they're it, kid sticks well, the, now.
6: They, the Sherwood Fifty Thirty only had one
5: curve. Right. <laughs> what was the coffee? The Fifty Eighty or something? Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyways, then we were like, we need two more, and so your M Chuck went and got two Winwells, yeah. which are the perfect stick, also because it was the same brand as helmet. Yeah. And so he signed all three of them. Yeah. We're gonna keep the Sherwood, but I think one you guys we're giving have, away. Yeah, one we're gonna put into a
4: vault for giving away to charity or some shit. Yeah, one goes on the wall in the, in the maybe
5: the, one at the golf tournament could do. Like that's I, think, cool. I think going forward, and
4: thank you, Ramcheck, on the way in for picking up those sticks. Yeah, yeah. I, I cringe that we don't have a Smeed stick we don't have a Davidson Hey, we're new, we man. We're, new, don't, we're, 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 we're getting doing. better at this. Remember, we're we don't better. know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. We're but be- Leadership. We get we're getting here, better every, every yeah. time. Leadership <laughs> yeah. is just like, I lo- I want to hear stories about players living at the Forum Inn. Yeah, because Jeez. like... Oh, my God, I heard, right. I heard the one story about um, how Peter Klima used to have giant... At- what are you waving at right now? Oh, you need more booze. <laughs> oh, oh, quiet. Guys, Mel, hit him with some fucking booze out of the fridge. What it is not a magic Monday for Chalmers. The Stolen Aya. I hear stories about how Peter Kleber used to live at the Foreman. And he had two giant dogs that lived in his room that he just would let shit everywhere. And he lived there for an entire season Wow! in the Foreman with two big ass dogs. Kelly Buckberger talking about living at the Foreman. Who do you say he lived with? Uh, did, I don't
6: think he said he lived with anyone there, but he said he was staying oh, there. Staying I think when he, it, ace, like, when he was a black ace. When he was a black ace, yeah.
4: Oh, oh yeah. The, the highlights of the forum in would be...
6: Oh, in its heyday? Oh, oh yeah. God. The stories the of that that place could tell. Yeah. Geez. I love
3: the story about him getting banged up at Ezzie's <laughs> and then playing in the Stanley Cup finals the next day. Yeah, Come and
6: on. And fighting Dave Brown on
5: Come his on. first shift.
3: That was so good.
5: And like we, we didn't even really ask him the follow-up until a little bit later. But like, how did you play? Because there's, there's like notorious stories about there's a pitcher who didn't think he was going to pitch that day and got like, didn't sleep that night, went out all night, woke up, didn't even wake up because he didn't go to sleep, showed up at the clubhouse, and they were like, you're going, the other guy's hurt, and he threw a perfect game, or a no-hitter. Yeah like
0: Sometimes you gotta play a little hung guilty Hungover
5: is all hell Do you know who
0: that is Are you thinking of Doc Ellis Yes Yeah but that was the guy He wasn't just like hungover And showed up a little tired He was tired. on like LSD He was shit. on LSD yeah
3: Yeah there's a documentary On Netflix about that Isn't it called like No No Or something like that Yeah oh, When Kelly
4: Buckberger Off the air Was talking to me About Iron Cowboy And we're just shooting the Shit about a Netflix show I was like Whatever No big deal Grade 3 teacher Who said I wouldn't Amount to shit I love it So what going we get The big brother Wow well. <laughs> Are we done? I saw you bring it up to him, Jay, <laughs> and you're like, hey, Kelly, do you watch Big Brother? And he I didn't just, bring it up to him. I said it. Oh, you said it. Yeah, fucking And that, he, Oilers Captain, shook it off like, I don't watch Big Brother. Fuck you. I know my and audience. Like, I know oh. for a
5: fact he doesn't watch Big Brother. Watches Iron Cowboy. He watches Below Deck. Oh, you know what? I kind of watched oh, that show. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. It's aspirational.
4: Why? Let's end with a Big Brother update because why wouldn't we?
6: You should. I talked to. I was just at Folk Fest. I'm still feeling the Folk Fest funk right now. Can we do four yeah, days of fasting?
5: Two minutes on Folk Fest first.
6: Sure, sure.
5: So I went to Folk Fest. I I, I try to do the four days this year. I did one, so I'm building up to four. Uh, last year I did two. Anyways, so wait. Did, you went one day this year. Yeah, man. It's, so you went it's, backwards. It's, you know what? It's been a busy summer, and okay. we just need a day off.
6: Chalmers on an infinite Saturday. vacation right now.
5: Yeah, it's been it's been a lot. I saw that. Can't believe it's already August. Something.
3: Speaking of which, Kelly Buckberger wore number 24 for the Moose Jaw Warriors. I knew
5: he wasn't 16. Number oh, 24.
3: number. 24. Yep.
5: All right. Anyways, so I go to the Folk Fest. Now, I am just a guy that likes concerts. I don't do festivals very often. The Squire does festivals.
1: He loves festivals.
5: But I know two different Squires. I know two different JRs. I know JR, JR. And I know Festival JR now. <laughs> Festival JR is a fucking, a triple T.
3: Tough to take. What was okay? he doing?
5: Oh, my God. He is <laughs> ridiculous. Every single question is, do you feel the vibe in here, man? Oh, do you yeah. get the music? Are you listening to this song? He was I, LSD, I, like are Ellis. you guys good? Just let- I not, I didn't he does say not anything sit anything down. like that. There is a, are you fucking kidding me right now? You didn't say that? 17 times to me. Are you listening to her? This is Belinda Carla. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was- and I was like, yeah, no, I'm she getting it. Awesome. Chalmers, what's wrong? Why are you sitting there? I'm like, I don't know. My wife that woke up at 3 in the morning to go to work and did the tarp run is sleeping on my shoulder. So where else am I going to go? I am literally can't move. And you're like, are you not feeling this? <laughs> and you're like in a group of people that are all sitting down. And you guys are all standing up. And I just kept looking at and if I was one row behind you, I would hate this group so much. <laughs> they came here to see Brandy Carlisle, one-fourth of the highway, the high woman. Yeah, newly formed highway woman. Yes. Great, great, yeah. great. She's like. You know, she's in it. That's great. And she had a great show. She's an Edmonton Folk Fest legend. <laughs> but you, I've never seen And the you. vibe was tight. I, I've never vibe. seen you I as I think a, I talked about
6: the vibe only in the beer gardens. Because I'm like, oh, I just love the vibe in the beer gardens. Because it's just like 9,000 people wanting okay, to get so drunk. Okay, so
5: there's the good and the bad part of Festival J. The good part of Festival J, I've already talked about, the, it's not even bad. It's the funny part of Festival J. The good part of Festival J is those lineups for drinks were so goddamn long and i never waited in it once thanks to festival j. What do you have an angle? Do this is the hack? trick. This is the trick. You walk through There's it. Sometimes you, it's a you hack. walk you walk through it perpendicular to the line about a quarter of the way through the line <laughs> and every single time you stop to just kind of say hi to somebody and then all of a sudden you can get to like a column uh-huh. and that column plays shadow for you and you all of a sudden are, you're there now. And you're now in the line and nobody really notices cuz nobody's really caring. And it was it was great. It's a game. It is a game. It was it was fantastic.
6: It was fun. We had a... there was a big crew of us and we got three tarps together, so we call it tarp island. We'd always form type tarp island every morning when we did our tarp run. It was a blast. Were you it? running every morning? We had a dancing tarp. I did uh three two or three. Two or three runs.
0: But yeah, it was great. All right, is that it? Are we gonna wrap her up? <laughs> wow. No yeah. ba- big brother. God Jeez. Damn it. We gotta talk about big brother. You're, you're yeah, up to, you're to like folk <laughs> fest?
4: Your em doesn't like anything except for Kelly. Buckberger Are you a single man? And
6: Quick shows. No, he's he no, not, home, man. Don't he you be saying I saw it's your great, photo.
4: I saw it's your a, wedding photo booth. Great I saw place, your place to go. On to he's all hungover a for a wedding. Place this to go on a
5: wrapped up with Mrs. Your em Okay, quick, Big Brother recap. Let's go. I was okay. wrong with my
3: prediction last week. I just want to get that out of the way. What was your? Pr- yeah, I yeah, said that were... both Mickey and Jack would make it through the week. Yes, I was way wrong. Yes, I
5: don't even remember what I said about my prediction. I don't think I made one, but the fact of the matter was was Cliff Notes version: Jack goes home. Aquaman, right? Yep. We kind of all didn't really know why, but I think we, I think we kind of know why now. Um, this last week, we go to a head of household, and Jessica- oh,
6: we're skipping ahead. What about the no, no, Julie no, Chen was- Moonvez? I
5: don't know. No, no. Oh, okay. Julie, what? When she, I actually tweeted. Uh, I went to Twitter oh, for the first you time did. in a long time. Yep. Wait, Tom, you, did. you, you
4: didn't see the eviction uh, interview? Yeah, I when she talked to him about showing clips of what he'd said.
5: Yeah, yeah she, uh, that she, is like, something like, I have never seen before. So Jack thought he intense. was getting his
3: exit interviews, like his goodbye. You know, vessels. I'm out of here. Not,
5: People love me. I'm gonna give Julie a big hug. She didn't want the hug right off the bat. Nope. She didn't even come close to the hug. He kind of was like, then he shook his shook her hand, sat down, and I, the whole time, all I could think about was. He he either asked for this or he has no idea. Because he sat down and she went straight in on You've done some things in the house and now we're gonna play you clips. And these clips were not short. They no. were long, long clips. And they had a camera on him the whole time. And I I, I was, was amazing. There, I was going, This is Fucking he unbelievable! Was unbelie- I was watching. He the did a show. good job, which makes me think he he said, you know, because they, they get they get an idea of what's happening on the outside world. I believe the producers might no. say to, no. then no. why did Mickey make the comment about how, of what was going like what the oh that was he'll probably online. have to
6: answer for it or
5: yeah that he's gonna have to answer for it One that of he the... was being mean to women that so like so I watched the the, the show After with our... a BB uh, alumna yeah know, and I
4: asked similar questions I say why would you say things like this and she said. When you're in the house, one of the things that you talk about nonstop, they never show, is what do you think people think about what we're doing?
5: That's why Christy's so heartbroken about this last- So it
4: builds up in your head, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they were saying like, oh my God, I can't believe they would vote us into America's field trip and blah, 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 blah. I was being told like, that's the kind of shit that would build up in your head because you have no information coming from the inside world. Uh. That's one of the very few windows on the outside world that you have. It would blow up in your head.
5: Well, <laughs> Bag Milk, what, what exactly is your take on the- on the exit interview of Jack.
3: I was surprised in the sense that when I watched it, all I could think of was, did he know this was coming? Because he seemed, that's that's what I thought too. He seemed too prepared for those kind of answers or uh, questions, I should say. Maybe he's a psychopath. Maybe he could be just a straight sociopath. Maybe that's his underwater way. way. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, He's speaking to the fish and all of them, they've been giving him signals. I was surprised by it. Like, I was surprised by it, but then, so what I did was, I did the super nerdy shit, and I dove into the subreddit, the Big Brother subreddit after, and all the people that watched the live feeds, they were there were like, listen, CBS let him off way, or, or, uh, way easy. He could have got it way worse for shit he said in the house. And apparently, Mickey's going to have it coming when he goes, of the same kind of thing. Like, we're talking video clips answer for this? Possibly I've never seen Have you ever know. seen anything like that before? I don't watch the feed so I yeah. don't, I don't know I consume it as it comes on TV yeah. so this was all surprising yeah. to me I don't really I don't, I don't really know. But, I just thought it was weird that he seemed way too prepared for that caliber of question well and just
6: like well and, and, well like i said or maybe he's just so convinced and he in his also ways. And no, no, he no, says but,
4: he says i'm horrible at giving speeches no but he no. has talked about how he's a horrible mm-hmm. and yet he comes out there walking out of the house into talking to julie chen Moonvez with the poise of obama when and he's she, like, when i'm she,
5: glad she, you asked that no, question no no that's not what he said he said thank you for letting me address this yeah. oh. when she asked the question about the rice pudding he said thank you for allowing me to address this why would he say that like did he yeah, there's that, I mean, nobody that's that, that composed that isn't like... Yeah. Chalmers, I'm going to tell you a little
4: secret. What? Big mm-hmm. brother isn't as on the fly as you think it is. What I thought happened was that he came out of the house, Yeah, went down, because the Canadian one, there's space between when you walk out of the house yeah. and when you walk on stage. There's like a walkway you go through, and they're like, ha, 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 good for you. You did a good job. Right, don't right. freak out. Don't piss your pants. You can see when he walks out, hands in the background waving, and he comes straight out on stage with Julie Chen Moonves. So they would have had to prep him in advance. You would have had to That's know what in I think. advance. The he diary was going room. To go. I think
5: they spend a lot more time in the diary room than any of us understand. Oh, like, yeah. The diary
4: room doesn't give them like coaching tips and shit. The diary room, especially the American diary room, they're just trying to get you to say shit so they can sewer you in the show.
5: Well, the show was pretty much uneventful, other than that.
6: Yes. Well, no, uneventful. Then there was the, uh, what's that competition oh, called?
5: Okay, the the the, um, the, the camp uh, council, the, the uh, field to trip. trip. Yeah, field yeah. trip, yeah.
4: Christy, like Mickey, who is a piece of shit, I think we could all agree. The
5: fact that like- I don't agree. You don't, do you know about Mickey in real life? No. Mm-hmm. I don't delve that deep. I watch it. I watch what the producers want me to see.
6: Well, that's the thing. They've got me wanted, uh, cheering for the underdog that's Mickey a little bit, but I know that he's not a good person, so dude. I'm really torn.
3: Well, that's why the, the interesting thing about Big Brother is in that people like us watch it on TV when it's on. Yeah. But there's a whole other segment of fans that they are watching this shit 24-7. I'm a feeder. I love and the I don't feed. understand how if Christie... Like,
5: two people are going to be voted as America's favorite. One is America's least favorite. What is Christie looking at the
3: other not two America and go... America's
4: favorites. It's just a field trip.
3: No, but they... They won- I don't remember even on the commercials though. Like, how did they advertise that? They didn't they make it voting? seem it was going to be like as no a punishment. Like,
4: they
6: just made it seem like one one goes on the block, and one confusing. gets rewarded. So, like, I I thought it's like a quasi popular. Pop- I just thought they were going to go contest. watch a movie that was coming out. I'm
3: just Hobbs tired of Christy's crying.
6: Oh yeah, oh, she's well, too much. She yeah, she's. I don't I don't like her watch, angle. She goes Tommy. around and tells every everything to everyone, and then tries she's to be go a home victim. This week and then tries to, yeah, I think it'll flip, and then tries to be a victim to kind of get them on her side. I don't like how she tries to manipulate.
4: She's doing too much. My boy Tommy, on the other hand.
3: He's rolling. He
5: is rolling. Man, that Can is an, ev- just that is an evil fight. punishment,
3: though. Can he walk
5: five steps without giving a kick or oh, a I jump love it. or a I love sack the or is, a pot of everything?
4: Barrette. Is he
6: does is a Jesus. thing of beauty? Oh,
3: it's
5: He's so
6: graceful. He's always on oh, Exactly with grace. Always.
3: I just thought that he had an evil punishment. That rocket thing where he had to get up in the middle of the room and run from room to room. Oh, that shit! That was is evil for the harsh. other people. The one time when he had the stink and they were
5: all in the room, and it's like, you can tell they're all done with this. Don't run around the room eight times, buddy. You trying to piss everybody
4: off? That's why he was the rocket guy. I also thought that the alien autopsy,
5: I know that was the episode
4: before, but that was pretty hilarious. Like, Mickey's such an unlikable prick, the fact he had to keep
5: running out and just getting alien guts all over him, it's also interesting how... How does such a sweet girl like Holly like him, then, if he's so unlikable?
4: Fight to power, man. Girls want to be near powerful dudes. How do you think Ava Braun got with
5: Hitler? Fight to
3: power. What?
4: (laughs) It's amazing to me. Well, you don't know who ever brought is?
5: Yeah, no, I know. Flight to Power. Yeah,
3: good example.
5: Well, Mickey's not a good guy, man. I don't know what to tell you. He's not so, nuts. Mickey's Hitler? Well,
3: you know he looks like not. a ventriloquist dummy at the very least. Oh, yeah.
5: kinda got, yeah. got a really square jaw. Yeah. Very square well, I, I
6: want him for the sake of the show to stay in the house.
5: He's the dark. House. I need, need. I need. I need
6: fucking entertainment. So it's good. But I'm. I, I'm really liking where Cliff's at right now. I'm.
3: My boy Cliff is rolling. The, the Cliff father. No, the Hog father.
5: Oh, oh, the Hog father. father. When he's
4: sitting there listening to Jack's proposal.
5: Yeah. Yes, I'm listening. Let's see how long yeah. we can go before. But he's a straight checklist. shooter too. Like
4: he's honest. He doesn't
6: try to like. He's like I'm just you know gonna do what I can and I can't promise anything and.
4: And Jessica delivered like for a real non-player yeah. that, was a that was one of the biggest non-player hohs ever she showed up like that was
6: that was a good week for her for sure for sure nicole's now officially like in floater land like you don't see her anymore i
3: thought that's her whole boring. thing about being weirded out by like birds is like that's one thing that was like, boring
4: that was like the craziest thing that happened about this challenge that was, was that nicole's scared of birds like, but
3: like whatever. it's a person in a bird thing like yeah, I gotta go. Move I'm on. giving this to your RM Chuck. He Chalmers can is it literally, I'm your RM Chuck had to really go for 45
4: minutes. Your RM Chuck is walking out live on a podcast <laughs> because, what?
1: I got
6: a dinner. I got to be at. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know what this is a good because we
0: Ren Trek has got to get he's some takes go. to. Boy, well, he's got to provide us some Big Brother takes too. No, True. I literally have been so busy with wedding shit. I haven't watched any. Do you of the follow him last week?
4: I follow him. He's a goddamn photo post oh, every you know fifteen what? minutes, smiling. Yeah. You know what? What's your what's your From Instagram
0: handle? Uh, my Instagram is just it's ty eight nine y a r. You follow me, don't you? Can I just really very briefly
4: talk about a spin of Big Brother?
6: Okay. Oh, yeah, you follow me. It's me. not close. Oh, you know what? I don't, actually. Oh. Now I do.
4: Spinoff of Big Brother. Effectively, given the amount of advertising it's had. VH9210. Did anybody watch it? Oh, I oh, watched no. it like, the last
6: uh, 10 minutes. So is the angle they took that they're they're playing themselves? It's great. Trying to make a comeback
4: of Beverly Hills? Is that yes. the angle? Okay.
6: So they're playing oh.
4: themselves yeah. as real-life
3: people. Sort of. Oh, that's way more interesting.
4: But you can tell... Like it's it's funny to watch. This show's a hot mess, and I'll watch it the whole time. Did
3: they acknowledge Luke Perry or not? Yeah, oh yeah, they, oh yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. Sad way, man. Yeah. Sad, sad way. Sad. And like watching E.T. the E. T. lead up to the Beverly Hills now two and O show was cool. They did like old clips and shit, and I watched that. And like Ian Ziering or Ian Ziering is like crying, talking about like it's very real, very fresh. But you can tell that it's like, okay, everybody's gonna be on down two and No. Yes. Everybody has to have one thing their character has fucked up in their life. Because they are hammering on Tory Spelling for being broke. Yeah. Like there's a Tory Spelling being broke joke, and they're in a private jet that uh that um what's his name? That's Brian Austin Green pays for. And 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 then Ian's earring says to her, like, How the hell can you be broke? Your dad is the executive producer of <laughs> the show, and that with the largest houses <laughs> in LA. And, like you're listening to this, like, this is fucking hilarious. So it's about them in real life coming together to do nine on two Yeah. I think it's gonna be fucking pretty funny, man. And like the fact that it's on after Big Brother when I'm already amped up in like shadow boxing and shit, I'm ready for this summer. Not
3: like that. That's good. That's a good show.
4: wants to go and the fact that one of our four people in the podcast, Tomer's walked dipped. the fuck out. I think we wrap this up.
3: You ready Buckberger. to wrap up mid Kelly Bookburger. Now we're going into a 90210 breakdown. Oh.
0: This, was, uh, this podcast was a trip, to say the least. <laughs> and if you bared with it all the way to the end, I give you credit. It was two, <laughs> so it was two hours and 15 minutes, boys. Six
4: hours later, of
0: pure two of them gold. are left talking
4: about BH now, two of them.
0: Absolutely, pure gold. Thanks for tuning in. We will talk to you next week, Nation Real Life. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.